target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? <laughs> Hello, Rob. Hello, Nick. Welcome to the show, mate. Oh, thanks for having me, you mate. Good cunt, mate. No, you see, I gotta that, st- you can't say that on there. I gotta say, you say whatever you want. I got really. My mom's a, gonna listen. Your mom is no. so sweet, though. She's not gonna judge me based no, on the she's not the c word. That's that's. I'm totally gonna try really hard not to say it though. But that's like totally I know, English I vernacular. That's fine. You can't do it. Oh, see. I will warm up to it. Warm up. We'll warm up to the c word. Warming up the cunt. I like it. Right. <laughs> I know, I know how you want nice to Nice and easily. <laughs> that bottle, Sorry. that glass of scotch right there. I'll get you oh, there. Yeah, look at uh, that. Yeah. Cheers, my friend. Thanks Cheers. for being here tonight. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are super stoked to have a good friend of ours, Rob Parker. Pop, 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 pop. What's up? How you doing? Rob Parker on Gravity Lab Radio tonight. Uh, Rob, the first thing I noticed is the intro song played. You stared at that microphone like it owed you fucking money. Does it owe me money? I could do this some money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you have a beef with the microphone? Are you intimidated by it? Because you were kind of like, what's up, It wears bitch? all up in my face and stuff, you know? Like, you're, I don't know. You're married to Felicia. You're used to things in your face and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I'm quiet at that point, too. <laughs> you're like, I'm not saying a fucking word. Holy shit, man. She's small, but she's mighty. Dude, mighty, mighty. Let it all hang out. Mr. P, here's to you, sir. Hey, it's so easy in this seat. I feel such, like, no pressure at all right now. So, Justin, don't mess this up. Don't screw it up, Justin. It's all good, bro. This is the like, first time I've ever seen you drink a beer. Is it real beer? No, we, I planted this one. I was real beer. Say, it's got <laughs> yeah. topo in there? Yeah, I put some brown topo in here. <laughs> some, some topo chico mixed with some hot garbage water. That's what you got. So just water from Mexico. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rob, I, I asked you to be here tonight. Uh, there's a couple reasons, and, and one of my biggest concerns or reasons is I just like hanging out with my fucking friends. There you go. So uh, that. thank you for being here. You and Felicia. Felicia's hanging out here on the side. Uh, you guys are people who always talk to us about what we do on here, mm-hmm. and I think the funnest people on the show so far have actually been some of our fans, people who listen. Yeah, for sure. I could get that. But you bring a lot more to the table than that. You've skydived all over the world, <coughs> at least in five countries, I think. Yeah, it's getting up there to, f- to five. Yeah, yeah, and so I really want to talk a little bit tonight about the normal shenanigans. Mm-hmm. I want I want to go over some shit. But I really want to know what it's like to skydive in these countries as a working skydiver because you've worked in several of them. Yeah, and what it's like to be a fun jumper because there's a two two really different viewpoints. Yeah, it's big time, big time yeah. different. Yeah. So where did you start and when did you start? Uh, I started in New Zealand in the beginning of 2009. Uh, my buddy Joss and I were traveling. And uh, Joss was kind of the trip planner and he knew he'd been reading all the books and, and everything like that. And he was like, okay, so we're in Taupo. We've got we've to do a skydive here. So badly, we, we went out the night before and got absolutely hammered because we were travelers and we found this really cool bar. Uh, but the next day we went and did a tandem. I actually hated it. Hated every second of it. No shit. Didn't want to do another one again. Was just grateful I was on the ground. I was so hungover. I thought I was going to throw up. I thought I was going to die. And like people that know me, I'm not like an extreme sport, like kind of guy. You know, like You're pretty I, chill. 
Yeah, you know, like I, I go home and watch documentaries in, in my slippers in the evening and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> they're nice slippers too. Pinstripe, baby. <clears throat> but uh, my mate Joss wanted to go again the next day and I didn't want to seem like a bitch. So I told him it was a great idea and it was the second one that was the for me. And uh, so we was meant to be in Taupo in New Zealand for four days and I ended up being there for seven years. So I want to know, what, what do you think the big difference was between your first jump and your second jump? Uh, I mean, was it just the hangover? Yeah, and it scared the shit out of me. I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, what am I doing here? I feel sick. This is like, who's this creepy guy touching me like some creepy uncle on the ba- of mine on the back of me? You know, like, and now you've been all... the creepy uncle so many times. I know. It's beautiful. It's the pinnacle but, of my career. So <laughs> it was just the uh, your ability to enjoy the... Yeah, I think so. But it wasn't scary the second time? No, not at all. It was it was night and day different. So the first one I had, uh, I, I did that whole couldn't breathe thing the whole way down. Uh-huh. Did you and try uh, and tell your instructor the whole time over your shoulder? Because that's oh yeah. hilarious to me. <laughs> yeah, and, and because I paid for a video, this guy was like, oh, no, you don't, and like kept pushing my head down. So I tried to like, look up the other side and try and grab it. So literally my tandem video is this guy holding my face like this with puffy cheeks whilst I was trying to fight for air. So why haven't I seen that? Because I sent it to my mum. Like, it's in England. I don't have it in my possession. Well, I'm going to teach your mom how to upload that to the internet for us all. I'm sure there's some guys that I work with in New Zealand that would probably be horrible enough friends to do that. For Perfect. Me. Done. <laughs> Man, I, I didn't realize you actually started and that's how you ended up in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it wasn't planned to to be that way. It was we did one. So what happened was I landed on my second jump, my second tandem, and I ran straight in, still in my gear and harness and was like put me on the next load and they said, "No, we're not going to put you on your next load. You you were here yesterday doing a tandem. You jumped again today. You're banned from doing a third tandem. You got to do the course." All right. I was worried. I'm like, they're turning you down from jumping. Oh, no. They, they was hooking me in like a little fish whilst I was on my high. I love when he says whilst. Think. Does that get you all hot and bothered, <laughs> young lady? Slightly. Slightly, she says. That's <laughs> bullshit. Well, whilst I was on my high and making stupid decisions, uh, they were like, yeah, put me in coach. And that was it. We started the next day. We started the AFF course. And seven years you spent there. So you started uh-huh. as a fun jumper in Taupo. Yeah. Um, I actually, so I've, I've spent a little time in New Zealand. I mm-hmm. never went to any of the DZs. Yep. I was working. I was working seven days a week on drop zones, three hundred and sixty-four days a year at that mm-hmm. point in my life. On vacation, I didn't want to be on a DZ, so I left my rig at home and I we hiked. It. We did our thing. Mm-hmm. But I thought Taupo was mainly a fun or a tandem drop zone. I didn't know. I have no clue. No, no it is. It was back back when it was like the tandem capital of the world. I mean, there was three drop zones there doing you know, ridiculous numbers. Um, but then you, the, the paths change, you know, like, cause it's all, it's all connected through, through tourism of people traveling. Right. So yeah. <coughs> as soon as the buses start going a different direction or the flights get cheaper, another direction, you know, then all of a sudden. So what happened was I think Queenstown are now picking up a lot of that business. They're doing like crazy numbers because they're getting a lot of, a lot of people from Australia that would usually have flown to Auckland and gone south. Yeah, yeah. Which means they'd go jump in Taupo. Now they're going to Queenstown and going north, 
which means they're getting their skydive in Queenstown so that by the time they got to us, they've already done it. So. That's end zone, isn't it? Yeah. In Queenstown? Yeah, those guys are pounded numbers. Dude, I uh, we, we checked out we checked them out as far as they have an office on uh-huh. the main drag. I think uh-huh. you've been there before. And uh, dude, those they they are a serious commercial tandem operation. Yeah. There's no doubt about it, man. Yeah. And if I were to skydive anywhere in New Zealand, Taupo looks gorgeous. Taupo looks inviting. End zone or Bay of Islands is where I'd want to jump. Yeah, Bay of Islands I've not jumped at, but uh, that was owned. It's now owned by the same people that owned us in Taupo. But uh, when did they buy that out? It was a few years ago. It was. Okay. Uh, <coughs> There's, a, there's some story that went on with it, but uh, basically our owners took over it. So I worked for basically like the New Zealand version of Skydive Spaceland and the Boyds. So uh, they, as uh, as as the um, the, the Fennells, they owned a lot of uh, kind of aviation business and stuff like that. They also had their, their skydiving business, which was one of them. But their safety concepts and their the boundaries to teach and stuff like that, like that was what's kind of, so when I actually got the job at Spaceland, it was an easy transition for me. You actually came in with, with a very strong mindset. I remember you showing up and, and I see all sorts of people show up and, and I really don't care what kind of background or training somebody has. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting to see if they're receptive to what's going on where they're at. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many good ways to do the job. It doesn't mean we're doing the only good way. Mm-hmm. And you immediately showed up with, A, really good habits, and now I'm kind of starting to see why. And, B, you've always been an extremely receptive fellow. Actually, you technically, at some level, work for, for Nick over there. Yep. And, Nick, when you address problems with Rob, how uh. do you how, how's it go for you? I don't like when you say it like that. <laughs> no, Rob's, uh, Rob's someone who uh, is really good at being self-auditing. You know, yeah. like I always encourage people to watch their videos because that's the easiest way to know whether or not you're doing a good job is, Watch what you're doing. Watch what other people are doing. Um, when you see it enough, it's going to start to make sense what what is good and, and bad. And uh, Rob, someone who watches, I don't have to ask Rob to watch his videos. Like Rob, someone who he goes through his pictures, he watches his videos. He's he asks questions. Super receptive to to any feedback. So, but I mean, that was I think a lot of that was down to the the culture that I had grown up in in Taupo. So you were really. You had a lot of eyes on you, mm-hmm. but you had a lot of experience, man. There's a lot of, you know, as commer- they make great commercial skydivers and they, they're very quick to, they, you know, not tell you off for doing something, but they're very quick to educate you along your process. So it's really easy just to, you know, you should just learn to shut up and, and listen to. I think, you know, you say that about that place, and I don't care what m- most people do. I do care about our delivery. Mm-hmm. We should deliver things really well. We should present things in a positive, constructive manner. But a- as a jumper, I do my best to ignore the delivery because almost every experienced skydiver I know who's trying to correct my behavior is just somebody who's trying to make me better. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said, man. I'll just shut up and listen. I've had people tell me things I know regularly, and I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Because you might tell me that one little gym extra. You might tell me that one little extra thing. Like, oh, Thanks, man. And if you don't tell me anything extra, it still made you feel good. And I mean, if you asked Brad or a lad who were my managers at the time, they probably don't see it that way. They probably say that I talk too much. But uh, but for me, it was, uh, you know, they did they did educate you a lot. And and a lad was a lad was super. I mean, I I did I credit every part of my camera flying 
production that I do today down to Elad Burger, my manager down in Tailpost. And then you mastered it under Nick Law. I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll Erroneous. Yeah. Erroneous. <laughs> but uh, I mean, he was, he really kept us on our toes. He really kept the standard super, super high. I've never, uh, you know, I've never seen a standard of, of video kept that high as the guys did in Taupo. But then it was, it's adventure tourism and you're fighting for the guys, you know, to get the customer. There's another drop zone just like a couple of hundred feet down the road. You know, there's three or four on the North Island and the North Island's not that big. So if, you, if you're not, if you're not pulling out a good product, then you ain't going to get, get people come through the door and come jump with you. So. That drop zone... Man, you got me torn in so many directions right now that it's, you're revealing a lot of things that I actually didn't know. And I, I'll, I'll kind of I'm parking on video for one second. You're mm -hmm. talking about they convinced you to shoot a quality video. Mm -hmm. I want to describe two types of skydiving tandem videos to you, mm -hmm. and I want your opinion and, and that ver that that company's opinion on what might be best for your tandem student to bring them back and sell them, and, and what's our number one marketing tool in skydiving tandem skydiving, Nick. Uh, I would argue that it's word of mouth, but uh, I think video is a close second. And yeah, actually, you know sure. what? I would not disagree with you. I would say word of mouth is by far number one, but number two, very close. Yeah. Tandem videos. So it's our number one seller. It's our number one marketing tool. So as a tandem videographer, I'm going to shoot one of two videos. The first video I'm going to go out, I'm going to shoot. I'm going to go out. I'm going to carve around my homie on my head. I'm going to get this super dope carving shot. I'm going to get underneath. I'm going to spin around. I'm going to get some really sick, cool flying for the student to really see how awesome we can fly. Mm -hmm. Jump two, I'm going to go up with another tandem student, and I'm going to go park right in front of him and be bored mm -hmm. and just sit there and just capture his face and his expressions and see what he really feels about the skydive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a little bit bored on that skydive, but that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. What do you think the customer wants? Well, I mean, for for me, that was a, was an easy choice. I mean, as 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 an instructor, you can see people carving around that, there. and it's it's cool to watch, you know, like yeah, especially if you struggle to do it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but 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 it's cool to watch. But the thing is, it just it just makes people sick when they watch the video, you know. Like, why is my video upside down? Well, because your camera fly was a badass. That answer doesn't cut it. But there's still. I fly every part of, bar the exit, and I mean, even that, most of the exit I do on my belly, but I fly the whole jump on my belly, apart from when I go on the back, whilst the camera's, whilst the opening, the, the tandem's when? opening. Whilst the tandem's opening. I just wanted to hear whilst again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sexy. But the reason I do that is because I can get a way better video than trying to fly around on my back, because uh, I wear wings most of the time. I mean, Nick's trying to get me, get me off my training wheels and I'm, I'm getting better but <laughs> but it's still I stress a lot I panic a no, lot no man you do a really good job with those wings and it makes me want to I, I really don't like flying wings it's just not comfortable mm. I don't like I don't like having like the swoop cord the way that it feels yeah. flying under canopy the way that it feels like my mobility being limited I just don't like it yeah but uh, gosh it, it makes for a great shot it does and uh, and someone's I mean, if you're, you're talking about there's always something to work on, there's always, the lighting's always different on every jump, the sun's in a different position, and the view that you're you're shooting against your backdrop, that's changed now because the sun's in a different place. Yeah. You know, so there's always, like, stuff to work on, work on different exits, work on getting different shots. So, I mean, y there's never excuse to, for you to go and be bored on a video jump. And you get to sweep your canopy for free. 
And I mean, I think that's more than enough for the amount of money that someone's paid to put you in a plane, you know, to go and suck up and do a good job, which is, which is great. And I, I still don't think the second version of the video that you described, like, that's usually the video that I shoot. Like, I uh, don't feel that way, by the way, about that video. I just wanted to give two very extreme comparisons. Right, right. But if you're, if you're bored <laughs> on any jump, regardless of what it is, man, you're just not doing it right. Quit skydiving, yeah. bro. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I, when I moved here to Spaceland, I actually was at a drop zone prior to this that all the instructors were super heavy set big boys. Mm-hmm. So everybody was going mock. I wore a free fly suit and I could free fly with everybody. I'm not the greatest free flyer. I could just free fly with boys who weigh that big. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked great and I loved it. And I moved here to Spaceland. And when I first moved here, TIs were all skinny string beam mofos. And if they had anything light on them, I needed mm-hmm. my wings. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to stop shooting front float. I'm going to start shooting it from the step. I'm going to start wearing wings. I'm going to start doing everything outside my comfort zone. And I'm going to explore and learn something new. I I like how you describe that. And early on, I really (coughs) relied on my (coughs) wings for speed. Mm -hmm. And when they were big and heavy, I'd take the wings off. And I'd be like, yeah, this is awesome. And I started saying I hate changing outfits in the middle of the day. So I started wearing my wings for everything. And, dude, wings are not for speed, although they help. They're one hell of a tripod, aren't they? Uh-huh. I can uh, I can actually go faster on my belly with my wings than without because I actually got a problem with my lower back and can't arch, but my wings can actually help me get super steep, which obviously takes all my drag away. So I actually yes. can sometimes go a little bit faster on the... And that's absolutely the tripod effect, man. You've got your <coughs> wings out in front of you. Your arms are down in front of you at an angle. Mm-hmm. So your wings are more horizontal to the ground. You're looking up at a 45-degree angle and using your legs to drive up that hill. Some of those deep shots you can get with wings, God dang, I, I enjoyed the challenge, Nick. And and for yeah, just just challenge yourself and have a little bit of fun with it. You mentioned the swoop cords on your hands being something you don't like, and neither did I. So I adjusted mine so they only go over my thumb, and there's That's minimal exposure because on my palm, I'm afraid of grabbing something and them getting snagged. So there, there's definitely compromises, and and I get if you don't if you. Uh, don't feel comfortable enough to take the challenge, but I'll tell you, man. No, I, I have trip. wings that mm. I jump with small small people. Like, the, you know, if you put anybody on the front of Jay Daniel, Woo! like you're just gonna you just <laughs> you're, you're gonna sink out, or you're gonna or you're gonna have more drag on. Everybody so it's like, I, I wear wings. It's just not. Uh, it's just not my preferred ensemble. I went from the point of not preferring wings at all. To man, I had somebody, you know, I had an instructor who was 220-230 with a student who's 220-230. I'm like, wings, let's go fast with wings, bitch. It was so much fun. Mm. Well, I mean, this is the thing right now. I've dropped a bunch of weight since I lost New Zealand. A bunch. Yeah. And you look and good. Thanks, brother. But uh, doing video as a fat cunt was way easier <laughs> than... Oh, no. oh, I snuck one in. It's way too warming early. Up to it's it. too early for that. Sorry, man. No, you've 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 done warmed up to it. Oh man. Oh. So so flawlessly well. executed too. <laughs> well, doing so, video. So continue about fat cunts. Do it, doing video as a fat cunt with wings was way easier than w- the weight I'm at now because. I was fat, I needed wings. If they were big, I needed wings. If they were small, I needed wings. It didn't matter, I need wings. But now, because of my level of paranoia that I go through, I'm like, oh, man, do I need shorts, T-shirt, long pants, short pants, wings, jumpsuit? It's just my process. You could fly a tandem video of any type with wings on, and I believe you can. 
I can, but I'm going to freak out about it for 20 minutes beforehand. <sighs> Rob. I know. You're better than that. I know. <laughs> this poor sod has to work with it. Man, that's the one kind of fun thing for me is I work with all these full-time Skydive Spaceland guys mm-hmm. because I see you every day. I'm not in the plane with you often, and when I am, I'm the opposite end of the plane with you guys. So I don't get to see what Nick you get to see or Rob what you get to see. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always fun to hear these stories. I want to go back to Taupo for one second, and, yep. and I, I got to know where this is. And I had some homework to do before the show, but I've uh-huh. been in a coach course for the last two days with Nicole Black and Stephen Boyd. Ooh. My energy's been focused there, and holy fuck, that's a good time. Right. We, we had a lot of fun. Nice. Where in New Zealand is the school for skydiving to get become an instructor? Is that Taupo? No, that was... Uh, was. No, it used to be up in uh, Methan, and now it's down in... Uh, I think it's down in Christchurch. Where did the first place you say? I think it was in Methan at the first. Where was that? That's kind of near Auckland, I think. But Northish? Uh, yeah, uh, so I think it's south of Auckland. Okay. But uh, I think it's actually in Christchurch, Okay. the, the skydiving school. It's a really interesting process. Nick, do you know the school I'm talking about? No, nope, no idea. Can you describe it? Yeah, so it's, uh, what it is, it's a, you can get a diploma in commercial skydiving and it's like a university degree. Oh, you no, know, I have heard this mentioned before. Yeah, so you basically, I think it's like a six month plus course and you go, you, uh, you leave there with 200 jumps or just shy of 200 jumps and you get sent to a work placement across the world uh, where you'd like work for free, but you have a certain amount of jumps that you take with you. And so it's, it's like an apprenticeship and it's basically you leave the school ready to fly camera, uh, proliferant at four way. Um, like they, they, they do a lot of, uh, weather studies and stuff like that. So, I mean, you, you know, you know, everything at that, that point, but it's, it's, you can get government grants. You can do it because it's like a, uh, I could actually get a grant in England to go and do it in New, New Zealand to, because it's like a it's like a commercial diploma for for skydiving. What's the school called? I can't remember now. I can't. You, you you remember Darcy King? Darcy yeah, King. I know Darcy. Was, yeah. uh, I think he's going to be listening. So uh, if you are if you are listening, Darcy, what is up, buddy? Super super cool. He's cat. killing it. Look, he where's is. he at now? Uh, he splits his time between Sweden and New Zealand. So, oh, that poor sucker. LTD, I know. Living horrible, the dream. horrible, horrible. I met that fella in Indiana. That's why I feel sorry for him. He lived in I Indiana. <laughs> uh, just not the coolest place to be from. Um, I, I don't remember the name of it either, Nick. But they advertised regularly in Parachutist magazine here in the mm-hmm. U.S. And then, and then all over, all over sorts of other places. It's a super cool concept and, and really something. I'm interested in seeing what we can develop in Looks America like in the future. Looks like it's NZ Skydiving School. Now, now it's and uh, actually, I think it's in Auckland. If I'm uh, if I'm correct, I should have known that actually. But yeah. yeah, I think Auckland are running it. That's that's where. So in in New Zealand, it's hard to sport skydive. There's two places that you're really gonna go for that. One is Auckland. But the other one is uh, a drop zone called Skydiving Kiwis, which they're a small operation getting bigger and bigger every year, but they're the guys that are really pushing as well. Where are they at? That's down in the South Island. Where I'm not too sure exactly where. It's Now, I, I will say, and I have limited experience, mm-hmm. I, I visited or looked into a couple of drop zones. You can fun jump a little bit in New Zealand, but you're looking at small, small Cessna joints. That you know, you might get one or two jumps a day. There's no real good yeah. big operations there. No, it's tough, and uh, it was uh, 
It was made a lot tougher when all the regulations changed a few years ago when the the Civil Aviation Authority took over. And so let's uh, hold on one second. You really bring me to to a question I have a lot, and I want to talk about with different countries is, uh-huh. is the the governing part. So for many many years in New Zealand, there were three main governing bodies: NZPIA, yes. and can you tell me the others? Uh, there's the NZPO, the NZPF, and the NZPIA. And basically, if you're jumping in America, that's their USPA, BPA in England, uh, CSPA in Canada. We, we call them all sorts of things, APF mm-hmm. in Australia. Um, the Those were the names, but I didn't know this. It sounds like now that's not the thing anymore. No, so what it is is the NZPF is like, that's the New Zealand sport parachute side of things. The NZPIA is the is the com- more the commercial side of of skydiving in New Zealand. So, what happened was for years the Civil Aviation Authority in New Zealand were trying to take over skydiving because of the money they could make from the revenue that that it brings in through tourism. So for years they tried, I think about fifteen years or thirteen years after they were like really trying. What happened was they managed to do it on the base of. They showed the uh, they showed a guy in court a video of a parachute creating lift, and they said because you can create lift, it's an aircraft, and if you carry a passenger, you're a passenger aircraft. I mean, dude, this goes as far as parasailing. I mean, you're towing a parachute on a lake with a boat, and it's governed by the Civil Aviation Authority because it can create lift. It's an aircraft, and because you're carrying passengers, you're a com- you're a, you're a commercial pilot. Dang. So they were like done, signed, and 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 that was that was it. So that was what that was what changed a lot. And actually, it was uh, our owners. The f- they knew it was coming, and kind of our CSO is a, br- a guy called Brendan McRae. What's the CSO? Uh, Chief Safety Officer. Okay. So he had been working for the Finales for years. He'd been tandem instructor and stuff like that. And so he was basically our, our, our diesel, our diesel operator. Um, he had been on his own counteracting this thing for like 13 years. And when they eventually had the opportunity to go, right, we're taking over the, the skydiving. Everybody in New Zealand's now got to apply by these rules by this date. He had already had a manual that he had been writing for 13 years, ready to go. So we were actually the only drop zone open on the first day of the the new change because he knew that this day was coming and was had been fight. He was a genius. I gotta meet this guy just because mm. he's well thought out. Oh yeah. I don't know if you know this, but I like well thought out skydivers. Yeah. Just oh, you and him would have a have a blast. Dude, I'd nerd out with this motherfucker. Yeah, he he uh, he knows his shit, does Doobie, and uh, he uh, he's got some great stories after a, after over a beer or two. Man, Val and I one day are gonna go back. We, we did our honeymoon there, and, and the day I ever go back, I want to make sure I tell you and get me an email hooked up because I'm just gonna go. I don't need to jump there. I just go hang out with this fellow and have a couple beers, like you said. There you go. Yeah, there's uh, yeah. some good good people in uh, in Taupo there that are that I left behind. It was hard to leave. Yeah. Yeah. So. First of all, I want to get to that civil aviation thing again. Uh-huh. What, what's the governing body's name? We call it the FAA here. Yes, yeah, so it's the CAA, the CAA. C- Civil Aviation Authority. Okay. And actually, very, very common name in a lot of countries, mm-hmm. the CAA is, is what many countries call it. Uh, mm-hmm. 
the CAA there is now running the show. Yeah. You said that you guys were the only people open day one. Yeah. Did the standards get that much stricter? Yeah, there's a, there's actually all the small aero clubs. Um, so I did my level, my level one on my AFF, which is a tandem. I did that in Taupo. So I did my two tandems as a customer and then my, my level one tandem in Taupo. The two and three levels that I did, maybe even four, we did at another drop zone called Mata Mata, which is this tiny little uh, airfield. It was it was like a small aero club, 172. You know, they, they did a little bit of AFF. They probably had 10 fun jumpers that would come on the weekend with their kids. And uh, that place is now gone. You know, like, there's no way that they could... I mean, when when <coughs> it was people like Brendan and a few others that really stuck up for us because what they were saying that they wanted was crazy. I mean, they wanted they wanted every parachute system in New Zealand to be registered with a license plate number, like <coughs> down the sides and top skin and bottom skin. Like oh, the numbers wow. we have on our planes. Yeah. Like every, every... Th- so and like custom canopy with a... Every an, the rig, an, a the tail rig, number essentially. The rig had to be assigned a number on Ooh. the side, down the the ends, top skin, bottom skin, because it was technically an aircraft now, so it had to be registered. And I mean, they, wow, so, that's crazy. so they they couldn't because it was now because a tandem parachute was or a tandem system was now considered a commercial aircraft. You couldn't fix it without a manufacturer doing the problem, right? So when a rubber band breaks. <laughs> you can't change that rubber bands because you're not, a, you know, you're not certified by the manufacturer. No to, way. So, so you'd have to send it to UPT in the States <laughs> to get them to change it. Hey, can you change that one and that one while you're at it? Because they look a bit ragged. What, what, <laughs> so I, I can't go over 65 miles an hour on the freeway either. I'll just say that. Mm. But so I'm an examiner for UPT, the tandem manufacturer. Mm-hmm. I represent them. Mm-hmm. I'm not a rigger myself, but let's say I am a rigger mm-hmm. in in New Zealand. Yeah, could I, as a representative of the of UPT, do it then? No, I d- and uh, no, and I think I I don't know what the the there was a lot of people like just standing up and trying to kick like, hey, you can't have that, you can't have this. Well, this one's ridiculous. I mean, this one's stupid. But it's I mean, it's a lot of it's down to the the fear of occupational health and safety in New Zealand. Those guys are brutal. And and if you if you you know if you start to stray in between their rule is they've they've got one rule. You must take all steps to eliminate all risks. So as you as a drop zone, how do you take all possible steps to eliminate all possible risks? Stop skydiving. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that was that, and that was how it got. But we had people that fought for us. I mean, our ta- our our medicals went from three hundred bucks a year to six fifty six fifty overnight like that because now they need to be signed by oh. a guy in the CAA. Uh, one second for people who don't <coughs> know what you just said, we have to have a medical from the FAA to do tandem. Yes, I have to do a medical every two years at a cost of almost a hundred dollars. Yes, you have to do a medical every five years at a yes. cost of almost a hundred dollars. And you're doing it for six hundred and fifty dollars a fucking year. Yeah, and it was it was they and they also they put like a you had to sign you had to get a commercial certificate which was like a hundred bucks a year and I mean they I think someone said 
I remember someone chucking this number around, but someone said to me that the first year that the CAA were in charge, they netted $50,000 profit per drop zone in the first year. You started this whole part of the conversation with they got involved for the money. Yeah, dude, of course. They're balling now. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing with it. Man, it's we have we have a couple jokes about the FAA. Welcome, I'm from the FAA. If you're not happy, if I'm not happy if you're not happy. Or I'm from the FAA, we've upped our standards, so up yours too. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the joke because, man, the FAA is very, very, very difficult to deal with. And so many skydivers in the United States naysay and poo-poo on our governing body, USPA. Mm. And I will be the first to tell you, USPA is not perfect. Mm. I represent USPA at a reasonable standard as an examiner. I've worked with the board regularly, Mm -hmm. and I've been on the board. And then we're not perfect. We have issues. We have mistakes. Mm. But, dude, if we don't have USPA, who's going to govern us? Yeah. The FAA. A guy who's been there, done that, you NZPF, NZPA and NZPIA. I got those right Mm -hmm. this time? Mm Mm-hmm. You went from USPAs to FAA. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, to be to be honest, apart from like the the financial stuff that that went that went over, mm-hmm. it was not a it was not like a a big 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 change. I mean, I, like being raided over here is a lot more work than being raided in New Zealand. Being raided in New Zealand once you like once you get a license, you don't have to pay every year. You just that's it. You're done. Your ratings are kind of, uh, it's like well, when I got here and I was like, cool, when I come to the rating center and I wanted to change my ratings over, I had to actually had a lot of paperwork that was not missing, but the the rules and regulations were different there. You know, like mm-hmm. a, like I had a New Zealand UPT tandem rating, but. But not a UPT rating period. Yeah. No, we definitely, I remember having a lot of hoops to jump through with you. And it's, yeah. it's, I just expect it from anybody from certain countries. And they're normal hoops. We can we can definitely work through Yeah, them. you guys were awesome. I turned up and was like, man, these guys are legit. Thank you, man. Plug the rating center, guys. Yeah, thank you, dude. It's it's. I, I will absolutely <coughs> accept the simple fact that I used to run courses and have people show up and have no clue what they were doing mm-hmm. and show up completely unprepared. So I do a lot to prepare people for courses. Mm. And... I'm really said and done doing it to help you guys out. Yeah. But let's be real. If you show up prepared, my job's fucking easier. Yeah. And so uh, I'm selfish. Yeah. And actually, I think when when I first got here, you were in the middle of a, of a big course and stuff. So I think it was Hank that took me under his wing and was like, because I was just trying to work. And I was like, man, I, so that's, you know, you know that I have a bit of dyslexia. So when it comes to paperwork, it's just a yeah. nightmare. So I was just like, man, I've got to do all this stuff. And I didn't know what way to turn and, and kind of thing. And Hank was just like, come on, I got gotcha. you. Hank's my boy, dude. I, my I love boy, him. I love Hank. Man, I wanted to ask if there's such thing as a camera flying rating in New Zealand. Uh, there's not, but there is a camera flying school in New Zealand, though. So, uh, Skydive Bay of Islands, I'm pretty sure they're still doing this. Uh, you'll have to fact check that. But Skydive Bay of Islands was doing like a camera apprenticeship where they would sell, like, you would pay five bucks to get on the load to go and practice video. And then you could As sell opposed it. to paying for a full price yeah. ticket? Wow, yeah. that's cool. And then, and then you would you could still then go sell that to the customer and stuff and the drop zone would help facilitate that and but you you had to apply for it and you know it wasn't just anybody could turn up and get that offer you had to be like do they have similar numbers for uh chasing tandems 
experience wise? Yeah. Yeah, 200. 200 jumps? Yeah. So what is it? 300 and a co-trading? Yeah. Uh, or 500? Yes. Without a co-trading? Yes. Yeah, so, so it's two, 200 in New Zealand because that was to wear a video as well. So the moment that you're able to wear a camera, you're also able to, to, to chase tandem. <laughs> Magic number, 200 so jumps. there is a little bit of a caveat that you, you give me those numbers you said. Just something I don't think most people in the U.S. know. To shoot any student, you need at least 200 jumps. So if you're shooting an AFF video, they actually mm -hmm. let you do it with less experience. And to shoot any student, you also have to have 50 jumps on the system you've been jumping. System meaning parachute system? Parachute system, camera system. Camera system you actually too. have to have s extreme familiarity. 50 jumps I don't think is necessarily extreme, but in our sport, 50 jumps is a decent number. Yeah. You have to have 50 jumps in the system. So if I got 300 jumps and decided to immediately search your antenna video, do I have at least 50 jumps under the system I'm jumping? I, if you're not watching this, I'm pointing from head to toe. Mm -hmm. So from everything I'm wearing as far as rig and, and camera. So. so I couldn't get my co-trading and put a camera on and start filming tandems right at 300 jumps unless I had 50 jumps already with with all the same gear I'm jumping. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And, and the biggest place it comes in effect in America is we can't do that with tandems, but with AFF students, you can see yeah. people with 250 jumps, 200 jumps to jump a camera, 50 under the same system. With 250 jumps, you can see videographers shooting AFF student videos. Wow, I find that very shocking. Um, you know, it, I, I feel more comfortable with them there than I do with tandems because tandems, you're a sitting duck. AFF, uh, you're holding on to a sitting duck. So <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> the difference is, is have you ever, have either one of you ever had a tandem instructor track away from you in the middle of a skydive? No. I, I, I have, mean, they do the body position, but not much happens. I have, <laughs> I have fucked with brand new videographers on a rare occasion where I'll turn away from them and immediately peg out as hard as I can in a track. <laughs> and it's funny because you immediately take off and you immediately hit the end of the leash. And every videographer, videographer I've done it to goes, oh, my God, he went nowhere. Because <laughs> yeah. you move for a split second. And then you're like, Barr! I can't go anywhere. Unless they're on their back and they don't have to drogue out. And then they start going. <laughs> yeah, then, track. Then, it's, then, I, then I struggle to keep up with that. My, my skill's not that good. I'm not going to ask you to tell the rest of that story, but I need to hear it later on. Because <laughs> there is a story there. Oh, man, I was... Uh, I was not a tandem master. I was definitely a tumble master at the <laughs> beginning of my tandem. <laughs> oh, so you're telling on yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh, then you can tell all you want. Yeah, I uh, I thought I thought it was, I just thought it was normal, dude. I was like, fuck yeah, was this tandem stuff is fucking crazy, you know? Like, I, I don't think I saw a stable tandem exit <laughs> until I came to Spaceland. No, and then, and then the f so the first time I got filmed was by a lad, my manager. And I went from a tumble from like 15 down to like under nine. I think I was like eight, eight or something. So when I got a drone. That's 6,000 feet. Yeah, I <laughs> know. I mean, it don't feel that, that you, you go through that pretty quick when, yeah. the, when there's two of you and you're tumbling. But when you're going to buck 70, yeah. So eventually <laughs> I, got sta I got stable and I got my drogue out and, uh, and my manager come, got a quick couple of face shots before it was time to pull and kind of got down and come up to me white and shaky which is quite hard to to shock a lad but he come up and was like what the fuck was that and i was like well i couldn't you know like couldn't stay got the drug out and he was like do you always and i'm like that's like not all right that was a bit longer than normal but so then <laughs> so then 
what what they what they put it down to is because Brendan, the CSO guy, wanted to take the video off me. He was like, "Oh no, we can't be having this every time." But a lad fought for me and was like, "Well, let's let's go with him a couple more times, see what he does, and see what it was." And what it was was is that I had I had more jumps, way way more jumps on my wing jacket than I had with without, way more. And when I was throwing my drogue, I was taking my left arm away. <laughs> to shut down that wing. To shut down that wing. And you know what happens then? You go head low and it's game over. You're off down the toilet going down the plug hole. Like <laughs> I love the way you speak English. The plug hole. <laughs> yeah, go down the plug hole. <laughs> Man, I, uh, there's so many other countries and things I want to talk about. Before I go any further, I want to I kind of leave New Zealand with a fun thought or fun questions. Uh-huh. New Zealand is one of the most beautiful countries in this oh, world. dude. Anybody who knows Val and I well know one thing. Mm-hmm. If she said yes, we would pack up and sell everything we do. We'd move to the South Island of New Zealand right here and right now. And I don't care what lifestyle I have to change to live on that South Island. I think it's a gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful country with wonderful people. Yeah, it is. And that's. I'm glad that you hit on the, on the people right there because it's like, like Kiwis know what they've got. Yeah, they know how beautiful their country is, and man, they're they're the best best people. I I'm, I met some of the most solid, most beautiful people I'd ever met in the in my time in New Zealand. Did, did you and Felicia meet in New Zealand? We did meet in New Zealand. That's kind of magical. It is. It's kind of beautiful. <laughs> it is. It's it, it, you 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 wrap us to an There's interesting a story. story there. Yeah, I knew this was coming. I'm actually gonna pull. I'm, I'm gonna hold on one second because I'm. Oh, I didn't even mean to. I was just. I want to wrap that corner back around because I actually have a All point right. to get to that corner. All right. Um, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. What do you miss most? Besides the people and the people, man, I I've, I've been a tourist all over the world and I've never been treated so kindly and blessed as yeah. I have by Kiwis. Yeah. What do you miss the most about New Zealand? Uh. How how happy I how I was that it was so far removed from all the bullshit in the rest of the world because it's like a it's I mean it's in the middle of nowhere, dude. And people like I used to think to myself, oh man, this was because literally it was the opposite end of the planet from England. You know, like if you don't if you started digging in New Zealand, you're going to come out in France, which is like a stone throw from England. So it's like to travel was like a pain in the ass basically to get home. And I was like, oh man, if it was just closer and it was, and if it would have been closer to anything, it wouldn't be what it is, you know? And and it was just how, how beautiful it is, how relaxed the lifestyle is, how happy, happy everybody was. I mean, it's hard to upset Kiwis or, you, you know, it's just, just mm-hmm. the life, the lifestyle. You, you won't find gum on the floor, cigarette butts on the floor, you know, it's just, that's what I miss, the, the happiness of everything around me being it's man they 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 definitely are blessed folks who understand and appreciate yeah. the lifestyle they have and because of that they treat the land with the respect that they it do and they t- and educating their kids and stuff yeah that, like like towards that way they're super active that way and it's 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 great to see let's say a skydiver was going to make a trip to new zealand and they wanted to jump in the most beautiful place in new zealand which uh, which drop zone would you send them to? Got to go jump in Taupo. Taupo, for sure. that's the for place sure. for sure. All right, yeah. I I would uh, the only argument I would be able to have against it is not v- uh, not valid because you can't fun jump in most of these drop zones. 
Yeah, that's a huge. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is, yeah. and and you can go fun jumping, Taupo. Um, I think to to if you're gonna go to New Zealand, you you know unless I almost wouldn't take my rig. You know, like what you said earlier on. Yeah. Like, God, there's there's so much cool shit to do in New Zealand. God bless her. Yeah. You know, and skydiving's just going to be expensive there. You're probably going to be doing it on your own unless you're at Skydive Auckland or Skydive Kiwis. Mm-hmm. You know, you're probably going to be doing a solo and you probably had to have jumped through a bunch of hoops to get to that. Like, where you could have just gone, oh, fuck it. Like, because, I mean, it's the hassle of driving your gear around or lugging your gear around, you know? Like, go walk a mountain. Go, go swim Ooh. with dolphins. Go, go dig a, a hole in the black sand and let it fill up with hot volcanic water on the beach in your own personal hot tub, you know, like go do something like that. Man, we actually started, uh, went down to Queenstown, drove straight down to mm-hmm. Man- Manapuri and checked out uh, Doubtful Sound for a day. Yep. Went up to a place called uh, Lake Marion. Marion Sparks, I'll always remember. Do you know where and what Lake Marion is? Uh-uh. Lake Marion is a glacial lake. Uh-huh. So you know where uh, Milford Sound is. Yes. As you're driving to Milford Sound, there's this little stop off to Lake Marion, and you end up hiking an hour and a half up in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And the hike is fucking crazy because I was warned, you're going to be on a trail that's not a trail. You're not going to think you're on a trail. Mm-hmm. And every now and then you'll see a orange triangle nailed to a tree. And do your best to follow the triangle because it usually points the right way, but if somebody jacked with it or a storm or a branch knocked it over, it's going to point the wrong way. Right. And half the people I ran into on this hike were lost and <laughs> turned around and going back down. <laughs> I ran into maybe two different couples who said, we made it. It's fucking worth it. Oh, really? We got Did you up, make it? We got up to this glacial lake. Oh, fucking gorgeous. Waterfalls all over the mountains around us from snow that was melting. Yeah. It was the end of the summer there, and the, the snow was still melting. We ran into two groups up there. A single person, and then a group of three, pe- four people. A husband and wife with their in-laws. The husband was from New Zealand. The wife and her parents were all from Huntsville, Texas, just up the road from us. Oh, no way. So here in the fucking mountain of nowhere, there's six people at one given point, and four of us are from fucking Houston. Dang. Dude, one of the most beautiful sights. And I, I'll tell you right now, I, I, I part of me wishes I would have saw New Zealand from the sky. Yeah. But going up to Lake Marion... I've never been in, been in nature like I've been in nature there. And I mean, and I mean, you could, you could, you could take your rig, you could go and do the, these jumps as scenic. You know, there's no better way to see see these places than from freefall uh, under canopy from, from from freefall and stuff. But uh, with the extra hassle of driving around with your rig, with the, you know, like the best way to see New Zealand is to rent a camper van or a trailer, whatever you want to put it. And just drive yourself around. That's the best way. I actually, I, I, I will disagree slightly with that. Book B and Bs with local families, and get the to fun rental farming car. and stuff. Yeah, dude. One of the things in New Zealand that blows my mind. Th- this this blew my mind. How many fucking billboards and ads do you see for? Check out sheep shearing here. <laughs> you you're oh, shaking yeah. your head because it's truer than it's it's ridiculous, right? Yeah, well, because when I first so when I was a traveler in New Zealand, I drove through Matamata, this place where I ended up doing like the first time I did a skydive that wasn't a tandem. And we did the Hobbiton tour because it was in Hobbiton, right? So this was this was after Lord of the Rings, but before the Hobbit. 
So we paid our hundred fucking the hundred dollars, you Robin bastards. <laughs> we paid our we paid our hundred dollars, and we waited at this bus shelter, and this weird woman with hardly any teeth picked us up and drove us around on this bus with a bunch of other people that didn't know what they were going, what was happening either. So we get taken out to this field, which apparently was where Hobbiton was, and there was like some holes in the grass, and they were like, "Yeah, this is where this happened." This is where this happened. And I'm like, man, I haven't seen the movie for years. I don't know what the fuck's going on. It's raining. Joss is loving it, walking around the place like a little hobbit. <laughs> and that, So we do this for like 20 minutes. And then they're like, all right, come with us. And then they take us to their farm. And we sit there for like an hour and 40 minutes to watch sheeps being sheared. <laughs> like, what the fuck does that have to do with Lord of the Rings? <laughs> so, so then they made, they made the Hobbiton movie, right? After sure. that. And then... Then, Peter you really Jackson, paid $100 for this fucking experience? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking I still feel sucks. bad. Sorry to interrupt. Well, because, I'm sorry. No, because now, when, when I went there, they couldn't have, they weren't allowed to have any of the set stuff by law. Like, the farmer guy still owned the land. But after the Hobbit thing, and the farmer probably went there, he's like, man, if you give me some, some of that set list, you know, some of that set stuff, I can get even more people in here. Now fucking the whole Hobbiton sets there. You can go to the Hobbiton pub and get a beer and shit like that. And I refuse to go back because I gave those motherfuckers a hundred dollars once. <laughs> they made me stand in a field for twenty fucking minutes, and then they made me sit in a barn and watch a sheep being sheared for an hour and forty. Did you get any of the wool at least? Nah, not as nothing. Not, not shit. I know. So you're one of the people who Val and I made fun of these tours as we drove around. <laughs> yeah, dude, I was one of the, I was the pissed off one that I've been standing in a field sucker. So when we got <laughs> the, we got to Fengaday and we stayed there at a B&B called uh, Songbird. Really, really, really wonderful family. Uh-huh. And uh, husband and wife, their son married a California girl, so they they live in California, but they were visiting. And we're staying in this just just really. Be, you, you've been up to the Bay of Island area, right? Uh-huh. So you know that's just such a beautiful, beautiful it's part. Us. Yeah. On the North Island, it's the most beautiful part. Yeah. And uh, they're like, "Hey, man, we have all this property, and for us, for, for they shared so much culture with us. But for us to take care of our property, we actually have about you know dozen head of sheep to mount munch on everything. But they'll destroy our property if we let them last too long. So we lend them to our neighbors to actually munch on their property." And they don't, they don't lease. They welcome to New Zealand. Them. They give them right. Yeah, probably cost them like a like a box of Steiny or something. Twelve green bottles, dude. Box of beers. Yeah, they're, they're super cool about it. And the guys like, hey man, we need to shear our sheep. I know you guys might have plans, but would you like to come check out sheep shearing with us? So now Val and I just basically keep them herded. Which if you've ever been to near a sheep, they fucking run like a bitch, yeah, dude. dude. I basically leaned against a post. But he was shearing sheep, talking with us, and it was a super interactive process. We didn't pay a dime for that. Stay at B&Bs. This family had mm-hmm. all sorts of cool things. I like the camper van, mm-hmm. but, man, the culture we learned from that family. We went back to their place. His niece is a world champion sheep shearer. I want you, <laughs> Justin. World championship what? For that I want you to look <laughs> up the thing? world record for sheep shearing. So they actually do it in a, a work day. So a work day is... Busted up into hours, into shifts, and they actually do it as a work day. And dude, straight up, I could take a clipper with a guard on it to uh-huh. my head and shave my entire head and face. And she probably sheared a sheep fast. They, they showed us video. I'm like, what the fuck? Dude, they blast through these mm. fucking things. It's unbelievable. 
Yeah, I don't know how many sheets that I sat there and watched being shared, but it was a bunch. <laughs> how long did it take till it wasn't exciting anymore? Like fucking two minutes. <laughs> so apparently... It sucked, dude. It really sucked. And I really wanted to go back and watch and see Hobbiton for as it is, but I just begrudge paying them another I'd get time. over it and go and check out Hobbiton. all that money from you. Those, so apparently two years skates. ago, 32-year-old uh, <laughs> Matt Smith shared 731 ewes in nine hours, uh, which is fuck? a sheep every 44 seconds for nine hours straight. What? 44 what a seconds sheep. <laughs> what a beast. Yeah, this young lady held the female record, and, and I think shit. I know it was less than two minutes per sheep. But I'm like, it was really a much lower than I'm like, oh, I cannot cut my face and hair in two minutes. I can't do it. She can do a whole fucking shoot. That sounded wrong. In less than two <laughs> minutes, man. Man, crazy. So I had uh, actually, I got a friend who did um, sticking on the tourism whole kind of Lord of the Rings thing. I got this friend. I'm going to give a shout out to her, Danny. We've not seen her for a, for a few years, but a Canadian chick who was Lord of the Rings insane, right? Insane. Then I love her. Insane. And she walked from Matamata from Hobbiton to the top of Mount Doom. Yes. She walked literally fucking hours upon hours and days upon days and walked from Hobbiton to the top of... And people, there's people that do this shit all the time. Did she realize that she left the ring at home when she got there? You can you can buy the one ring oh, in yeah, the I'm gift sure shop. Oh, yeah, sure they fucking <laughs> yeah. sell the shit For out of For more it. fucking money, though. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how many... Uh, is there is there somewhere to throw the ring once you get yeah, there? Yeah, you can get out. <laughs> One does okay. not simply walk into the gift shop. Well, it sounds like they do. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, you actually are looking at video of that guy shearing Yeah, I'm looking. <laughs> of the guy shearing the sheep? Yeah. Oh, no, you. Yeah. Is it good? Dude, this guy's doing this a 44 second terrible seconds, sheep pun. motherfucker. Oh, no, you did. <laughs> there we go. If you're watching this on Facebook Live, Justin's got this dude just I see if there's audio raping of the sheep. a sheep with clippers. You got that audio up a little bit? Oh, this was muted. Here we go. Oh, it's because he's got the techno going. <laughs> yeah. Serious Nick might disqualify him. <laughs> do, you, do you think the sheep has any idea what's going on? Is he psyched or disappointed when this is over? He is frightened to death. By the way, every Google resort is a New Zealander when you Google sheep shearing. <laughs> Dude, how many sheep are there in New Zealand compared to people? Do you remember I think that stat? Yeah, it's 36 million Boom, sheep. Boom, naked sheep. <laughs> naked sheep. <laughs> You're a little too excited about that, Justin. It's a sheer genius. <laughs> no, oh, no. Oh, yes. Nick Lott, you're a legend. <laughs> it only took three before someone noticed. All right. <laughs> no, I ignored the second one. I didn't catch the first <laughs> one, though. That's all right. No one gives a shit anyway. I got the second I love one. you. I love you, man. I think it's like 36 million sheep and four million people or something <laughs> like yeah, that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Val and I were driving from uh, Queenstown to Manaport. Yeah. And we got done, and we were going straight back up, and we were going to go hit the glaciers. Yeah. So we're driving up on the south side of the lake there at, at uh, Queenstown, and we saw sheep crossing signs. We're like, oh, how cool. We might see a sheep cross the road. Stuck there for three days. We got stuck <laughs> there for no shit 20 <laughs> minutes. A herd of sheep were, cut, were brought across the road. You could roll down your window and pet sheep, except for I'm afraid that they'd bite my hand off because I don't know anything about sheep, but they taste good. And, uh, dude, straight up like 20 minutes of fucking sheep crossing the goddamn road. It was for really cool for about one minute. Yeah. So, 
man, I, I want to kind of travel in the world. I want to go a little bit further. I want to find out where you travel to next. But before I find out where you travel to next, Nick, I have something for you, my friend. For me? For you, buddy. Ooh. Why don't you reach into that little bag? Ooh. Why don't you reach into that little package? I'm really excited right now. And see I what think you I know got what there, is. buddy. Oh, this looks like oh. a Velocity jersey and a men's small for a tiny little gentleman just like myself. So the other day, I asked you what size option studio jersey do you wear? A small. If anyone gets me anything that's not a small, just if anyone's ever going to ask me anything about a shirt, I'm just a small guy. Yeah. So I was Did actually... You get offended? No, I, not because I'm small. I'm just offended that anyone would look at me and think that I wore any size other than small. Because <laughs> In case you look fat? Yeah, I don't want to feel like <laughs> yeah. I'm... No, I don't want to walk around in my dad's pajamas, you know? Clothes hanging off of me? Uh, uh, Felicia says I do that. Man. Earlier that day, a good friend of ours, a young lady named Riley, and, and commonly people ask if Riley's a guy. There is a guy named Riley who works for NZ Aerosports, so there right. is a male and female Riley in the boogie tour, uh, was trying to make sure we sent you the right shirt. So that is actually from Velocity Sports Equipment, and, and Velocity Sports Equipment, it's the maker of... An, yes, it is. Yeah. The maker of Infinity Rigs is our latest advertiser, our latest addition to Gravity Lab Radio. They really a huge part of what makes us happen, man. Um, I've been jumping Gravity Lab. You cannot have a red one, ma'am. Gravity Lab Radio. Um, <laughs> I've been jumping Infinity since 1999, and I've owned almost every major rig on the market over time. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I think there's so many great rigs on the market. I think Javelin and Sunpath make a phenomenal rig. I think uh, Vector is your rig of choice, make a phenomenal rig. But by far, Velocity Sports Equipment Infinity, they have absolutely been my rig of choice. For me, they're the most comfortable, and to most people, they're the, one of the most comfortable rigs on the market. Yeah, well, Cal- Felicia just got hers, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that thing looks sick. That thing looks nice, Dude, man. and it does and it look good. it fits her so well, so they did a great job out there. I took that one a little personally. I've been measuring Infinity rigs for many, many years, and when... I told Felicia, when a rig comes in, I'm more worried about it fitting you well than you probably are. Oh, I bet. She's probably more worried about it looking cool than I am. Right. But my gosh, man. And, and, and they do such a wonderful job. If there is ever a fit issue, you can send it right back to them. They're very quick to respond. Mm-hmm. Riley is the director of marketing who helped get you that shirt. Incredibly kind lady as well. And a sweetheart, man. And Ooh, have you nice seen top. her little onesie that she wears? <laughs> no, but I want one. <laughs> Dude, um, man, uh, look up Riley Marshall. I, she's got like five names on Facebook. And then go through her pictures, and you will find her in a jumpsuit, zip down with a with not a onesie on, with with a kind of a swimsuit on. And Justin, when you figure it out, you'll share it, and, and then we'll describe it when you see it. Uh, I'm already really excited, dude. It's pretty fucking epic, man. <laughs> so excited. you're uh, you're still doing that coach course tomorrow? Uh, actually, tomorrow we have a bad weather day, so tomorrow we won't be able to finish the coach course. Um, Are you at the drop zone tomorrow? I am not. Oh well, you got to take my measurements sometime soon. If you're up to the challenge. It's back back to the weekend, isn't it? Tomorrow here that the weeks have been good, but the weekends are not so good the last. Yeah, I've been away for two weeks. I feel like I've missed so much in this two weeks that I've been away. I don't know. I went on vacation about two hours ago. I'm on vacation for the next fucking eight, um, nine days. Yeah. That's why we're not having a podcast next week, because this motherfucker's on a boat and hose. Oh, God damn. You going on a cruise? Uh, like you talking to a vato. Orale, homes. Mm. We're going on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Man, no, we're, we're getting out of here. But we're actually, Nick has been jumping a few different rigs over the years, and you've yeah. jumped a Mirage. And I, I think Mirages are very, very nice rigs. 
It fits my tiny, stupid body. And you've tried a lot of different <laughs> rigs on in your body. You've mm-hmm. tried a lot of different rigs, and you've had hindrances. Like, uh, shooting Tana video, you look up a lot, Rob. You understand that. Yeah. And for a short fellow looking up a lot, that yoke really interferes with your neck and head, yeah? It really does, yeah. It's, uh, th- my first rig was actually a vector. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought my first two rigs were vectors. The first one wasn't built for me. The second one was. And the second one was considerably uh, better as far as how far I could put my head back without really noticing the reserve. And then uh, I tried on someone's Mirage that was, uh, they have like a sizing, uh, certain size harness and container that's made for a, a short bodied person. But I mean, I'm a small guy. I jump pretty small canopies and uh, I tried a couple different infinities. Finally, Critters is the one that fits me. Uh, it's actually just a little bit shorter than the Mirage uh-huh. and it's several inches uh, shallower than the Mirage. So as far as how it like sticks off my back, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a much smaller, flatter narrower rig and uh, feels great man i just got uh cypress in it yesterday actually so and switch that canopy out how how did that work out uh matthew throwed it down with a frustrated but accomplished look on his face yeah it's definitely a tight fit with what critter has in that setup yeah but uh but it looks nice it's uh you know it's really firm but it looks great still still shaped really well so uh, that's what you jump it that's that's actually so stiff. Ooh. Besides the comfort factor, <laughs> but it fits so well. That's one of my favorite things about Infinity Rigs by far, and it's the ability to customize. You can customize almost any rig today, but the level of customization you can bring to an Infinity. You've seen my uh, primary work rig. I have my fun rig, which is the VK, and my work rig, which is the Spectre. My my primary work rig. I think almost every band easy will tell you it's one of the fucking sexiest rigs on the drop zone. It's it's the one with, uh, excuse me, the the. Uh, the, the embroidery on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just an entry-level customiza- customization job. You can hit up Infinity, and they can actually do a Liquid Sky design with you. Julio from Liquid Skies will design the rig. Go to uh, VelocityRigs.com. I won't spell today, Nick. Go to VelocityRigs.com <laughs> and look at some of the customization options they have. It is one of the most customizable rigs on the market. So it's super comfortable, but you can make it look look as awesome as you want. I mean, it's it's... A pretty awesome rig when guys like Jeffro Provisano from the Red Bull Air Force actually is one of their poster children. If you actually can ever see in the corner here in the podcast, there is an actual picture of Jeffro wearing an Infinity. And Luke Akins doesn't always land with a parachute or a rig, <laughs> but when he does, he jumps in Infinity. When Felix Baumgarten skydived from space, who made the rig? Infinity. So they definitely... I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice... Uh Dude, I'll have to show you a picture later on. When I worked at PIA or was at PIA helping Infinity out mm-hmm. in their booth, I actually got to be the idiot who helped people take pictures with the uh, Stratos rig, with the Red Bull Stratos rig. Mm-hmm. So I got a picture of me wearing the rig and then me helping. Did you see it when it was on display out. at uh, NASA here, his whole, his whole suit, his whole getup? No. Super cool. I missed it. I mean, I, now I say I missed it. I got to see it at some point, but that's I'm showing. Badass. I'm showing Rob. You've seen this, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Is it on order? Not not quite yet. We're getting real close. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah, so we're working that together. It's a nice looking rig. It is, man. And I will say, I can't say too much, but I can say right now, Infinity's working on some super secret ninja shit. Uh, here in the next month, I'm actually going to be joining Kelly Farrington, the owner of Infinity, and working on some things that he cannot wait. Infinity is about to bring their next new thing to the market. You can ask me every day about it, and I'm going to continue to say, I don't know. Hey, DJ, what's that super Ooh. secret ninja thing that they're going to bring to the market? Awesome. 
That's what it is, my friend. It's you awesome. You said that you were going to say you don't know. Now you're lying. God damn it. You got me. You son of a bitch. <laughs> um, but wait and see. Infinity is always pushing the edge. They're always innovating. Good on them. But they're not always necessarily changing things that aren't broken. And I like it. They're not changing things because it's broken. They're changing things because they see a new future or something different. And, and they're not the only people in town doing so. But, man, Kelly was definitely one of the leaders in free flight friendly rigs once upon a time and continues with Velocity Sports Equipment to be a leader. Yeah, that's, that, that rigs look good. Dude, I love them, man. I want to get back to you for one uh-huh. second, but I have one more thing to th- say. Brian Menard is the <laughs> man. Newest sponsor of the uh, karaoke evening. Is that is that so? April 7th, January 2018. Put that together, guys. <laughs> huh? <laughs> what? Are you having a gravity lab? I, I, I really was saying April 7th, 2018 in January came out, and I realized it too. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was I trying was to like, put that all together. Is there a DeLorean involved? <laughs> 88 miles. <laughs> April 7th. 2018, we're going to have Gravity Lab Radio uh, karaoke night. It is just straight up a fun jam time. There's not a lot of rules. As a matter of fact, singing and having fun are our two rules. Man, you need to get Dicko back for that because that boy can sing. There's nothing going on except for a party and a good time. Brian Menard has been our latest donator to the Gravity Lab Radio uh, karaoke night. The idea is born by the one and only Mr. P. Nick Lott. I don't know. I feel like it just kind of came... I know no, I do not sing. I know I, dude, I will not. I'm, I'm going to do all the hip-hop jams at this yeah. karaoke night, all right? Yeah, perfect. Maybe you'll get me to sing one song. Bon Jovi. Mm, maybe. Yes. And we're halfway oh, there. Only if we're yes. going to do like 20 seconds of that song oh, and then quit. No. <laughs> Nope, see, you already lost me. Nope, I'm not doing that. Dude, I we, I don't think we should ever do that song again because we will never relive that never moment. Never nail it like we nailed it so beautifully and Every, every so often that video of Hank circulates on Facebook doing oh. big balls. Yeah. I was away for that, and I just like was in tears. Like, oh, my God, I miss this place so much. I miss Hank so much, man. Love that guy. Hank is goddamn a wonderful human being. He is. So, guys, gals, we are still accepting donations for the film festival. Uh, we're gonna pay You mean karaoke night? Karaoke night. God dang it. <laughs> for the karaoke night. And uh, what money we don't we raise above and beyond is going to go to refreshments and entertainment beyond. So, beer, Ooh. whatever. This uh, is great. Now there's two drinking games going on. So, Hank has one every time. I'm cunt is being mentioned. Yes. Oh. <laughs> what a and, cunt. and D is still commenting every time we say karaoke that someone needs to I drink. Think D Fassler, is that the name I saw last yes. week I did that? And D last week said, every time we say karaoke, you guys have to take a drink. So guys, gals, make sure you pay attention. When we say the K word, you guys have to take a drink. That's a D's idea. So karaoke, 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 karaoke. <laughs> Enjoy that one, D. And <laughs> who sings karaoke? Uh, Hank. Oh, any good cunt. Any good cunt. Any <laughs> any good cunt. Any All cunt. kinds of good oh, cunts sing oh, karaoke. <laughs> so let's get back to our boy Rob. Yes. Oh, give money to Mr. P, to Justin Grubbs, to myself. If you guys want to donate money to the film. Fe- oh, karaoke night. Oh, uh, Alicia's making it rain. So, so Mr. <laughs> Mr. Parker. Yes. Parker, where did you go to from after New Zealand? Where, where's next? So, uh. After that was Sweden, um, I took the the decision to just get away from New Zealand for a bit. I was struggling a little bit at the time. 
you you know from some from someone who's worked with me a lot. I'm I'm not a super self confident person. I, I approach things with co- so what what it was was I felt like the guys around me were just blitzing everything and killing it, and I w- w- quite wasn't, you know. And the, just the pressure at the drop zone to jump then and stuff like that kind of just took it all away from me. So I decided to go and uh, pack in Sweden. Now there's certain moments that you put in your life that's like that this was like a turning point for me. So learning to skydive was a, was a moment that changed my life. Going to Sweden again was was another one because I was I had never been to a sport drop zone at before and <clears throat> to go there and to see that and the reason that I left was because the pressure of not being good like the pressure of not being good enough was just too much so then i got there and it was just all these now skydiving in sweden is not like skydiving anywhere else it's they're not drop zones they're aero club clubs so you have a club president a treasurer this you can't get a swedish membership unless you uh, belong to a skydiving club and if to be belong to that club you have to like work for them five days a year and stuff like that so it's like a real small aero family kind of feel and uh man i went there and i had a fucking blast those guys were were crazy and 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 just so so up for a laugh and i'm gonna i want to give props to this place there's a little skydiving club it's called aros it's uh in uh vesteros it's just a little bit south of stockholm but uh that that was that I, I packed there for a year and and it changed changed my life. I would never forget that that first year. So much so that I went back the next summer and did another season there. I've always heard and I think it's now safe for me to to close that assumption, the culture is really what skydiving is all about in Sweden. Yes, and it's I mean it's 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 people's life. So the skydivers that you meet in Sweden, their unreality is Monday to Thursday, Monday to Friday. You know that, that. As soon as they get off work, they're going to the drop zones. They got trailers there. Um, they're staying in the house. You know, like that. It's like they're properly set up for bunk houses and and lots of caravans and trailers and stuff like that. And they go there and that's it for the weekend. And they're there every weekend. And there's, they have certain, what they call jump weeks, where they'll operate like all week. They'll have like a certain set of jump weeks put through the year. And these people will like quit working and get to the drop zone. for, And it's just completely different than anywhere else that I've been to. It's just, you know, the, the, the drop zone there doesn't operate unless the club pulls together you know if if no if if there's not someone who's put themselves up for maintaining the plane and make sure that it gets booked in you know you guys don't have a plane there's you know like down to the the funds the treasury everything it's it's all done you know if something breaks in the club or anything like that no one's going to fix it for you no drop zone owner's going to fix it for you you guys got to pull together and fix that shit yourself and it was the plus those guys know how to party they really know how to party on the weekends too. But that was that was it. And for me, it, it, it allowed me to break down that wall that I had put up. It allowed me to go out and skydive and do shit for me. 
and just have fun. And that for me took my, when I went back to New Zealand, I was 10 times the skydiver and, and had 10 times the knowledge that, that I had before I left. And that was when it clicked to me that was, you can sit there and you can be the best skydiver on your drop zone very easily, but unless you go and visit other drop zones, jump in different areas, jump in different countries, see different, you know, like you're never going to evolve. I'm really curious how that you think that affected the average jumper's uh, relationship with the drop zone and their respect for the drop zone of having it be, uh, you know, ha- not having a, a drop zone owner to fix every problem and save the day. Oh, for sure. And I mean, this so this this club, Aros, once a year has the the airfield that they're on gets shut down, and it has the biggest American car meet outside of America in the world on this drop zone on this airfield and all the club members will turn up for that weekend because even if there's no jump just to protect the club from the people that are having the car show because <laughs> the club gets trashed the k- trailers all get broken into people pissing and shit in a bit so they'll literally go there and be this like walking <coughs> security guard of 50 people for a whole weekend and you know they'll go party themselves and and take but it's it's it is it's it's you know if if something breaks in the club they have to fix it because it's they don't have the, that safety net of someone coming to do it for them it's their skydiving club and, it's, and you can you can see that in the in the way that they do things there I guess I see here a lot uh, people just disrespecting things and not not taking super great care of you know facilities mm-hmm. or aircraft or picking up after themselves yeah and so I guess it just gives me a thought of like well how how could we inspire people to do that but I think it's Ooh. hard you know, especially with the big drop zone like Spaceland, to really assign ownership to yeah. to the community that that jumps there. Yeah. But uh, it's good to know that not all skydivers are. Yeah, sweet, sweet, no, Swedish skydivers, dude, they're like ants. You know, like when it shuts down and it's fuel time, there's like all the people that have got that job that day, like they'll go get it done. You know, like it's just it's they 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 love their club. It's their club. Well, they rubbed off on you, eh? <coughs> I guess so, eh? <laughs> Hey, could you hey could you grab me one of those beers? Maybe? Yeah, what do you want? I don't know. Surprise me. You want a Dos Equis or a Heine? Uh, uh, oh, I'll grab a Heine. Thanks. It's it's uh, actually not common in America. Uh, a that we still have clubs, but we still yeah. do. And it is not common that all those clubs operate the way you just described. But there are yeah. by far still club DZs out there. And there are actually still DZs out there that are commercial operations. In other words, there's an owner, yeah. not a club. That still feel and act that way. Yeah. Well, this, uh, so these clubs, this particular club had a tandem business that was, or is run by one of the club members there. He's, I mean, he, he works for, you might know Uffe's Hop Shop. You might know that from, it's a European name. It's, uh, Uffe's a guy who's, uh, like a Nordic rigger, gear sailor, stuff like that. But, uh, Alex was the guy who runs his tandem. So he runs his tandem business separate to the club. So he's limited to a weekend, or I think any day actually. He's not allowed to do more than 60 tandems a day because if he does, it takes slots away from the fun jumpers that own the club. You know, so that, like, and then a percentage of like whatever he, actually, most of the money that he makes goes back into the club because Alex loves his club. So this guy would quite easily be able to, and he has the finances to buy a plane 
set up his tandem business somewhere else and keep 100% of that profit. But he doesn't because he gets to give it to the... Like, when I turned up there, so he was my boss, right? He was like, right, this is how it is. You know, I always want you to pack for me. I always want you to pack for this guy. And at the end of every Saturday and at the end of every Sunday, I pay for everybody's pack jobs because I want people to sit there and have a beer with me. You know, that, that this, this, this is what this guy was like. So he loved his club and he would never, even though he had the ability to go set up a drop zone somewhere else, I don't know how that would quite work with the Aero Club feel, but he would never do that because he wants to keep his, his business within the club and keep the club going. It's his club. First of all, mad respect to that gentleman. Yeah. As far as how you think the club feel would still go, I firmly believe the club feel can still happen in a commercial operation. Mm-hmm. It starts with leadership, and of course, size is the other part of it. Too big, yeah. and you will lose it. You know, one thing that I really love about our, our home, Skydive Spaceland, is for a big DZ, we do mighty good at accommodating a small feel. We, yes. don't, we don't meet it, but this is the best small feel vibe I've ever seen at a large DZ. Uh-huh. Um, I say best. I think there's a couple of DZs like Skydive Chicago who also does a phenomenal job of keeping that at-home country vibe. That, when I say country vibe, uh-huh. you're out in the country with not a lot of people around you. Um, it, it is definitely hard. It, so uh, hard. So hard. <laughs> Nick, you, so hard it makes him choke. You used to uh, <laughs> you used to jump at a smaller DZ. I jumped at a small, I say small, I jumped at a mid-sized turbine DZ. And for us, there were days when the grass needed to be mowed Myself, Dennis Anderson, you know that name, other buddies of ours, you just hop on the tractor and you took your turn. Now, idiots didn't never figured it out because if you hopped on the tractor and mowed the grass, nobody asked you to do anything else and they left you alone. If you didn't <laughs> hop on the tractor and mowed the grass, they asked you to help clean the bathrooms, they asked you to help sweep the <laughs> hanger, they asked you to help, I'm just going to go sit on this tractor and smoke this cigarette looking thing. It's called a cigarette. I used to be a heavy smoker, dude. I used to not be able to run to catch a tandem without going. <laughs> Thirteen years of that crap. Uh, was that the same thing at your home, dude? I was so happy to do anything, anything to help out of the drop zone. Like, not interested in getting paid. I just wanted to. Dude, I would do anything, anything that needed to be done. You know, we didn't. Uh, the my home drop zone was on a municipal airport, uh-huh. and it was a pretty decent size airport. I think it's like a. I want to say it's an eight thousand foot runway. Ooh, they had a. That's huge. They had one. Uh, one airline company that would land uh i don't know what size the jet was but uh there's a an air force base uh a few miles away and every once in a while we get lucky and someone would bring an f-16 or an f-18 over and we'd get to watch and watch them taxi so there was a big enough runway that airplanes like that could take off so as far as facilities and keeping everything um looking good the the airport had the funds to do that but just at the, the you know at the drop zone in the hangar Man, as a new jumper especially, man, do tell me to do, ask, please ask me to do anything. How can I help? And uh, it was a very, very much a family vibe. Very, it, it was still, we still had a caravan mm-hmm. and we had a caravan and a, and a 182. So it wasn't the, you know, the, the tiniest drop zone ever, but uh, definitely a lot more of a, of that small personal feel. One of the things I like about Sweden that you described to me, one of the things I like about Utah you described to me, one of the things I liked about Skydive Greensburg, my old home is we all did shitty jobs for free. What's the shittiest free job you ever did for that drop zone? God, I don't know. And anything, anything. I yeah. mean, yeah, 
clean the bathrooms, whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, whatever it was. And so many of our staff and jumpers are unappreciative of, of the fact that we have guys at big drop zones. A guy named Jacob, a girl named Steph, you know, Rich. All these guys are doing a great job of taking care of our DZ. I want to know what the shittiest things you've had to do, but I, I, it's so easy for me to say the shittiest jobs because do you know I hate packing? Do you know I absolutely fucking hate packing. I don't, I don't know if you know, I don't know if I knew that. I, I dude, I. Fucking hate okay. packing. You either get to pack my parachute or I get to touch your face. Which one is it going to be? I pack your parachute or you touch my face. Yeah, you got to pick. No, okay, get to sit down. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's how bad Man. it gets. Here's how bad it really gets. So Jay Stokes, Kip Lowmiller, and myself, three buddies, we're working at the drop zone. It was a super, super busy weekday. We had no packers. We have about 15 plus or minus tandem rigs. And we have no packers. We jump all the rigs and ended up at all about a dozen of them. And we land and we pack one or two rigs and say, fuck this, we need dinner. So the three of us go grab dinner. On the way back or on the way out, we found out somebody shit in the shitter, clogged it up, overflowed it, and the entire bathroom was covered in shit and water. Water didn't overflow. Shit all over the bathroom floor. Shit all over the bathroom. It was fucking disgusting. Disgusting. On the way back from dinner, we were talking about who's going to clean out of the bathroom. I'm like, well, what are you guys going to do? Well, let's either clean up the bathroom or pack, DJ. I'm going to clean the shitter. It was that's how much I hate packing. The shittiest Damn. job I ever did is walking to a park. Now, I Dang. used to own a respirator, a military-grade respirator that you could breathe through very comfortably, very clean. I had gloves that went up past my elbows, and I did the job with all the equipment. So if you know my germophobia, I, I, I went in looking like a fucking hazmat team. Yeah. That's how much I fucking hate packing. But for love of my DZ, I sat there and picked up shit with my gloved hands. I sat there... And, dude, without a respirator on, without a breathing apparatus oh, on, dude. you were gagging on Chonky Donkey. Oh, uh, man. I wouldn't be able to handle it. Now, I think that's the most extreme version. Does that answer your question to how much I hate packing? <laughs> I still want you to pack my parachute. You know, today I probably can do it a little bit easier because I've done a shitload of packing. Now. No, I, I don't love packing either, but uh, there's just something about making a really nice, neat little pack job that I can appreciate. Like making the lines so straight and all the line stills look so good and it's so symmetrical in the bag. If you've seen Nick pack, by the way, it's just that's just how it is. Oh, he's definitely uh, pack, Nick, pack Nick's the Nick on the yeah. And if you ever watch me pack, I'm fairly <laughs> meticulous and clean. I'm not as clean and meticulous as you, but I'm like that's a messy pack job and people look at me like I'm an idiot. So I, I don't like it. You you've traveled all over the place and you've uh-huh. done a lot of club style drop zones. Uh-huh. What kind of things have you had to do to support these club style drop zones at no pay? Uh, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm, I guess I've been lucky. I've never, I've either a never had to do anything that's really shitty, or if I had had to do something, it's for the love of my job zone that I don't mind doing it, so I don't link it to my head as as a shitty thing that I have to go do for the drop zone. You know what I'm saying? So both of you make the same statement, and the point I want to bring out of that is if you truly love the sport and you truly love your drop zone, you're not going to do everything for that DZ for free. There's no doubt no. about it. But you don't mind bending over and picking up a piece of trash. That's not work to you, is it? No, and, and see, this is this brings back to what my my grandfather was, was my father figure through my life. And he's he always said to me, like, he's an he's a old-school English builder, you know, still laying bricks at 84 in my sister's garden, you know, crazy, crazy guy. But... uh. 
He always said to me, and it's always stuck, you could never do enough for a good governor. And when I used to go work with him, it would always be the same. It would be like, oh, you know, look, look, we're done. It's like 4.30, we've got another half an hour. And he'd be like, oh, let's, let's just go clean that, that bush over there because it's John in it. He's our mate and he can never do enough for a good governor. You know, like, and that's... So for in New Zealand, the Fennells man were awesome people to work with, like f- to work for, you know. They was Hamish was... Man, that guy was like my family, you know, like he was, we, we rented his other house, he was my landlord, he was my boss, he was my friend and, you know, if we had an audit w- that was coming in um, and he was like, hey, God, does anybody mind like hanging around after work, picking some shit up, you know, I'll put beers on and, you know, he was, he, he always, I always felt that Hamish had enough in the bank already that if it ever come around to like hey can you do this like i didn't have a problem with doing it because he was such a good bastard you know like and and the managers were the same too like it was it was easy to do things for for good people can can you tell me what the term uh, gc stands for <laughs> it stands for good cunt good cunt tell me what is a good cunt uh you're a gc you uh you picked me up from the airport when i got here you didn't know know me from adam and Brought me all the way over from here. Ad- Hang on. Is this some, some English those, slang yeah, that I need to know? English didn't know me from Adam. What yeah. does that mean? I don't know. But it's didn't know you at all. Just in my lap. No, but so, so when you first showed up, we started doing this thing that was the GC of the day. Yeah. So what does that mean? So, uh, you know, so if you did something like a, if you was a good cunt, if you, uh, if I didn't make it back to the landing area, I was doing video and I had to film a landing and you noticed that and you ran out and filmed a landing for me, you know, like, oh, that Nick's a good cunt, he filmed a landing. So that was it. So we'd have it up on the whiteboard, we'd have GC of the day and that kind of stuck my nickname for a little bit. I think it was Panch that, I miss that guy. But yeah, Panch, it was, I think he was the one that was like, yo, what up GC? You know, and I think that's kind of how. <laughs> that was a pretty good impression. <laughs> <It was. laughs> so it's that that was kind of how it stuck with. The did, did GC of the day originate somewhere else? Like having no, it, no, we've, I've we never kind of treated it like a little bit of an award. Yeah, almost. no, I've never GC'd of the day anywhere else. Like like in in uh, in New Zealand, you know, you're like, oh man, yeah, fucking yeah, old mate down the road, he's a good cunt. But yeah, you know, here it's been an active GC of the. There's a lot of GCs here. <laughs> Dense with the GCs here. Yeah, there's a lot of GCs here. Good times in the video room. It's My always. Yeah. It's a good place to hang out. It is. It's definitely a good escape. Now you're in Sweden. Where yes. do you go next? Uh, so after Sweden, I went back to New Zealand, did another summer there, then went back to uh, back to Sweden again. Should you be a GC then and pass uh, that over? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. You're there mighty you go, fine GC. GC. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so the deal was that I I couldn't be the one that was every summer taking winter off and have that cushy New Zealand to Sweden deal because other people wanted to go away too. So, uh, so I did my two summers of doing Sweden to New Zealand, Sweden to New Zealand. Didn't see a summer for, for three... I didn't see a winter for three years. It was great. But then I hung out in... Uh, so by the time I'd got back from my second trip in Sweden, back to the same drop zone, I had now got to the point where I was ready to take the step from fun jumper to working skydiver. 
and that was the deal. A lad, to- a lad, my boss told me, he said, "Hey, you've had the last two summers off. Yeah, you know, it's time to be a GC. Pass that over to someone else." And uh, but have you thought about getting on video? And uh, I said, "Yeah, I thought about it." And now I was at a point where I was ready to take that on. How many jumps do you have at this point? A bunch, like five hundred, maybe. A bunch. <laughs> <laughs> It's all Ooh. relative, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, bunch heaps. I was super heads up. You knew, all, you know, all the shit by then, right? All the shit. Yeah. Uh, how did you really feel as as a skydiver with five hundred jumps? How did you feel like your skill set and knowledge base around skydiving was at that point? I thought mine was pretty decent because of, I mean, Taupo, you you were educated really well, so it was it was pretty, pretty. Uh, you know, like I felt. Yeah, I felt confident. I felt like I could go anywhere in the world and be safe. You know, and that that's, was that's a reasonable thought to have about yourself. And that's and that's that was that was enough for me. Like I didn't need to go to everywhere and be the the shit hot flyer with the drop zone. See, that, sh- and that's more the thought that I was getting at. Is a lot of people with five hundred jumps think they're that shit hot flyer. <laughs> yeah. Did, no. did you did you go through that at all? No, I've never gone through that. No, I've never gone through that point of like, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm doing it. It's like, I, if I get remotely good at anything, it's because I've had to work hard at it. Like, I'm not one of these naturally gifted people. You know, like, yourself, Tommy Miller, Marley Nolan. You think Duncan. I'm a naturally gifted person? Are you I, fucking crazy? Do you I know how I much know, I suck at things? I don't know, but you work really fucking hard <laughs> Yeah, and that's, that's, that's how I overcome my and, lack and, of and, skill. And that's the same with me. But I mean, like... Like Tommy Miller. Tommy Miller, I'll take that. Ma- See, I got a friend called Marley Nolan Duncan, and I hope he's listening. So this dude is an Aussie guy. So if you think he's a good cunt, he's the fu- he's a fucking awesome cunt. He's he's <laughs> a, sick, Marley, a sick cunt. Eh? He's a he's oh he's a sick cunt, eh? But uh, I hope Marley's <laughs> listening. Dude. So Marley is like T. Willie and Chulo mixed together. Oof. Yeah. Like imagine sounds like imagine, my power animal, right? Imagine T. Willie with like the Chulo attitude vibe and stuff like you know, like he's like he was he's he's my Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Does that make yeah, that mean sure. something yeah. to yeah. you? Like Marley Nolan Duncan is my Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and like it didn't matter if you, 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 there's no way that you can tell that dude you can't do something because he's like oh fucking want a bit. If I can show you right now, right now, you know, and, and that that guy, I, I've lost where we've gone now. Don't worry, that happens a lot. But uh, we were talking about <laughs> keep work, chasing it down the rabbit we were hole. Talking about working hard and being naturally gifted. Like I'm, I'm not a naturally gifted. So if I get anywhere, it's because I've like worked hard to it. So I never get to there thinking like, fuck yeah, I've made it. It's like, so being a skydiver at Skydive Spaceland. You're surrounded by so many badass instructors, camera flyers, tandem instructors, all of this, that I have to work hard to be on top of my game just to like stay on the level with the guys. You know, that, that's that's the quality of the place that we work at right now. But it's like you've been I've been to other jobs in Sweden it was I didn't have that pressure, you know, because it's a little bit not sketchy, but it's not it's not spaceland and it's not it's not Taupo. So, I mean, I guess your attitude's different when you're not in that. 
Yeah, the culture is just different, right? Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's your you acting different. If you're like, I have to be on the top of my game just to fucking hang with these guys. You know, your attitude is going to be different. Or is if it's a place where it's like you don't have to try as much to to kind of fit the. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's yeah. more structured yeah. than Spaceland. I think that's an easy way to say it. Yeah, and I and I love it. I love to. Uh, I got a beautiful wife. I got two. Two dogs, two cats, and a nice new trader. I'd like to go home at the end of the day. Does Felicia know about your beautiful wife? <laughs> hey. Oh, Felicia, you are a beautiful young lady. Uh, I, I real quick, I, I took a pee break myself. My bladder's not that strong. You, I came back into Jonathan Living Seagull Livingston Livingston Steagle. I can't. <laughs> God, <laughs> Steven Seagull. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, this intermittent intermittent fasting thing has been wonderful for two reasons. Number one, it makes me drink way more water. Number two, man, that scotch goes to my head quick. Bitch. <laughs> hey, oh, girl. Yeah. How you I doing? I notice on days I, I just say IF for sure. On days I IF intermittent fast, I, uh, I definitely catch that buzz right away. I'm like, ooh, what's up? How you doing, bro? Um, dude, you've read the book. You and I got the book from the same friend. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, Stephen Boyd, a, a buddy of both of ours, gave us the book. Stephen gave you Yeah. And I cherish the, the book. And I held on to it for a while and, and, and finally read it. And, and I'll always cherish it because Stephen is a good friend and a guy I have a lot of respect for. But the story is A, yeah. fun. Yeah. B, it's a quick, quick, easy read. But my gosh, the work ethic, the life, the grow love and happiness in the end. Mm. Have you read uh, this book, Jonathan? Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I was going to say Jonathan Seagull. Uh, Mr. Grubbs, have you read the book yourself? I have not. I highly recommend So I got, I got to the point of reading this book uh, because of my dyslexia and stuff. I've never read a book outside of a school book ever in my life. And I was turning 30 years old and I was talking to my friend Patrick. Patrick Ingle. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Linda. Uh I was talking to those guys and I was talking to Patrick and I was and he's like, What do you want to do for your thirtieth? And I was like, Man, I've I've never read a book and I feel like it's holding me back. Like I I've tried to read books. I really struggle with it. By the time I've done this page and I've got to this page and I'm halfway down this page, I've forgotten what this page is all about. And I was talking to Patrick about it and I was like, So I've, you know, that's my goal is being thirty. I wanna and he, I was like, well, he loves books. Patrick read, reads a lot. And he's like, you need to read Jonathan Livingston Seagull is your first book. And I was like, okay. Fucking talking seagull. I don't know how this is going to be so exciting. But <laughs> but he said, you know, it's a skydiver book. Every skydiver should should read it, you know, like as a... Because we all know uh, Jonathan. And it's kind of what brought us to where we're at. And it's what keeps us to push on is that drive to... You know, I don't. I, you I don't care that I'm flesh and bones and yeah. feathers. I just want to see what I can do and can't do. You know, like that's, yeah. and that's the. So yeah, Marley's my Jonathan lives. So I was saying he's like, uh, he's a mix. If you mix T Willy and Chulo together, is T Willy's bestiality with Chulo's happiness and. But you were saying that this is someone who's helped to keep you humble, right? We're just going to yeah. skip right past that. I mean, because it, it was, this was actually. <laughs> hey, we're not playing to your fantasies tonight, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I heard the word bestiality, and we're just going to glaze it over like it didn't well, happen. Well, actually, it was Marley was, Marley was the source of all my. 
<laughs> Marty was the source of all my pain and suffering when I was feeling like I was a shit skydiver and couldn't do anything. Oh, because you saw someone who it came to so well, naturally. Because we were we both had eighty jobs. We were both working the ground crew together. We were coming up through the ranks together. Because that's what Taupo is. Taupo's like literally it's a little manufacturing plant. You start on the ground crew, then you work your way up to packing, then you get on camera. Once you got on camera and you've got a thousand jumps, you can get a tandem rating. So you've got to get a tandem rating. Otherwise, they put you down to part time. And then they'd eventually they'll kick you off because it stops the flow, stops the progression. So I came up with Marley and Marley just, just took off because the guy's a beast and can do stuff without trouble. But I was like, fuck, this shit's really fucking hard. An old fucking Abotar over there is like flying around like a. So he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's an Aboriginal. And he had this... Abo. Okay, yeah. So, so now I know that word. When we were coming up, he had this tall... Does he play the He had this really tight blue jumpsuit, so he looked like an avatar. So we called him Abotar. That's, that's uh, brilliant. I'm there now. I Racist and mm. clever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's hard to be both. Yeah. But yeah, so he was, he was kind of like, man, I was always looking to him and I was never quite cutting it. And that's what took me to Sweden in the first place. was like, i got to get away from this bastard. Get some skills, come back, whoop his ass. The, has that happened yet? No. Uh, Fuck him. Yeah. Him and his stupid blue suit, everybody's still wearing it. Goddamn yeah. Abo. Still killing it. Abotars. <laughs> At first, I thought you said Abotard. <laughs> yeah, no. no, he's definitely not. That guy's. Uh, That's that guy's really killed. funny to me. The word Abo is an offensive word oh, in, so, yeah. in, in some parts of the world. And it's like, to me, that word means nothing. Yeah. Like, to know that someone could be called an abo and that might really fuck their day up. Like, well, to me, it sounds like candy. But like a <laughs> shitty candy bar. Hey, did you grab an abo on the way in? No, nope, didn't have time. But then we recently <laughs> we recently spoke about this when I have that, pr- that thing with the word boy when I came here. Boy. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that we was talking recently. I had the Conor McGregor Mayweather fight and McGregor yeah, and he called, called him boy. Called boy, which was kind of like racist so i was like all right don't be racist rob so now like every time for like two weeks after that moment every time i was doing a video i was like what's up my brother (laughs) which is still not all that much yeah brother is probably worse yeah but i'm i'm the king of (laughs) dropping myself in it like that do you remember do you remember yes i know exactly the story you're gonna tell please tell it so we're we're sitting around. We're, I walk into the office one day. There's a group of. There's this big family. I mean, it's army of people. God knows how many. And they're all sitting around the table. They're all signing in. And they've all got this matching shirt. And it was like, Happy birthday, Denise, on it. Happy fucking birthday. Happy 50th, right? Happy 50th birthday, Denise, with a beautiful picture of Denise on the. On the front, and it and all on the like back it says "getting high on 420." Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah, this very I distinctly. Like, nice. And I was like, "Oh, dude, these guys are the party." So I go in there, and I'm like, "Right, I'm gonna row this party up." I'm like, "Yo, yo, yo, where's Denise at?" And they're like, "In our hearts and minds." <laughs> oh shit! And then they fucking stand up, and in the small print on the bottom of the t-shirt is like, "In memory of." And I'm like, you fuckers couldn't have started with that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It would have made you know, I, I honestly, I, I made a really similar mistake with everybody in the tandem gear up area. Very same group, same group, same people. 
and I think I stopped a little sooner before my foot was as far in my mouth as yours was. <laughs> but then I remember going back out and looking at their shirts. Yeah. That I, I couldn't see in memory of. No. I didn't. I couldn't see what that may have been on the shirt someplace. Yeah. But like man. At the bottom in the I mean, traditionally, yeah, I one starts with that statement. Well, that's exactly. Yeah. Instead of getting high on 420, <laughs> this is what you're putting yeah. on your dead mom's fucking T-shirt? <laughs> yeah. It's on her tombstone. Yeah. May she rest in peace. And like, literally, <laughs> so, so I, I'm quite a paranoid person. So like, literally, I spend the next weeks like, don't fuck up, watch everybody's T-shirt, read every word, everything that you say. So like, literally two days later, I'm taking this lovely lady, I'm doing a video for this lovely lady. And I say, hey, why are you skydiving today? She's like, well, I... I had a heart transplant and I'm doing it for my donor. And I'm like, cool, where are they at? Are they here? <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she and she looked. <laughs> God bless your heart, son. Oh and she, looked, she looked at me like stone, like, no, I've got their heart, they're dead. And I'm like, I'm like oh, fuck. No, they got the short of the uh, stick. They got the baboon heart. They're still uh, alive. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm used to dropping. Them. Oh uh, man, <laughs> that is that is amazing. Uh, like, how boy, long are you take, retarded? How long did it take for that to really set in? Uh, was it was it pretty instant, or was there like I oh, I just no, want as soon as I fuck as soon as I finish, oh, I was like, man. you fucking stupid cunt. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so you were an SC that day. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, <laughs> you idiot. You idiot. Oh, good lord. I just need to slow down. Sometimes I just get all excited <laughs> and I get in there and I just need to slow down sometimes. No, think I think that's I a pretty reasonable question <laughs> if you just kind of let the heart donor thing just go over your head just a little bit. It's almost a reasonable question. Well, I was thinking about just walking off at that point. Because I'm like, I was hoping... I'm, I was hoping Fuck it, I, give her somebody else. I was, yeah. I, well, no, I'm I was hoping. I, I was hoping that she hadn't noticed, and I would be able to run away before she could answer. But, but you know, you know, Denise, the, 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 that family, and I dropped my shit in it that day. Like her daughter requested me after I like dropped my shit. Yeah, where's Denise at? Yeah, in her hearts and minds. I'm like, oh fucking great. <laughs> the fucking daughter goes to the manifest and is like, I want that guy. And, I feel like and I'm like, really? No, and I feel like I, I shot I the video of you. In yeah. This yeah. I was like, really? Now you want me to take you first? You want you want to meet her again? No. <laughs> Maybe she wanted to see if you're gonna say some other stupid shit. I probably did. Yeah. Uh, Does it always revolve around someone being dead? Probably. Yeah. There's a, a really well, probably funny a situation moment. that I wish I was. Maybe it's no. your sixth sense. Uh. See, this is another thing that I really like about the video room is the moment that someone does some bonehead shit like that, Go they come in the, the video, video room <laughs> to like vent or like to just be away from it. And Tommy did a really, <laughs> a really similar thing, where he's out. Like Tommy, I always would make fun of Tommy because he would do the exact same interview, same questions, same timing, same sequence, regardless of what the person's responses were. <laughs> and so he's like, "What are you doing out here today?" And she said, "Something, something, something. I have cancer." He's like, "Oh, so you're celebrating, right?" <laughs> And like it was the same thing as he knew as soon as he said that that he had yeah. fucked up. But it's like you just get so used to the yeah, like oh it's my birthday oh it's 
graduation. Oh, it's what? I, oh, yeah, you're celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the wrong word. Yeah, yeah. You have cancer today. Oh, so you're dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough job being a videographer like that. Yeah. But it's uh, it's an awesome one. Though. Yeah, it, it has uh, it has a lot more exciting and fun and meaningful moments. But we get these beautiful stories that still bring so much joy to the world after our awkward moment is over. Right. That hurt my side. That was <laughs> yeah, worth I my thought, life. I thought we were gonna lose you over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god. The that thing was intense. I, the thing I enjoy the most about this podcast is I've laughed some of the hardest laughs I've had because of friends <laughs> like you. I agree. We just had a cr- good cry together. I'm not sure if Nick joined us in the cry because by the time I got there I was crying too much to see you. I was close. Yeah. I, I, I did catch you. You were there too. Teary eyed uh, yeah. laughter is the best laughter in the world. So man. hang on, we've got New Zealand, Sweden, America. What are the other countries on your list? Uh, Greece and Spain. I never, wor- I never worked in Sp- Spain, but I did work in Greece. And uh, what was that like? Uh, Slippery. Th- no. What, what time of year was it? Uh, did you get to do for, like a summer season? Or it's not. I got to. I got to. Uh, I got to be there at the start. At the right at the start of summer. So this was uh, this was at Skydive Athens. Shout out to everybody over there. Um, they were operating on their second season so it's it's greece's only turbine drop zone and it was their second season open um i got there speaking of beautiful places man that place is it's stunning out there the views the you know the landing areas is is the whole place is beautiful and i've never felt so good as i did when i was living in greece from the food and stuff that you eat but uh, I, shortly into my time there, ended up rescuing two dogs. And that actually took, I don't ever remember, or Greece would never be now that time that I went there to skydive for that season. It was now the, the time that I rescued these two dogs and everything took up, like that kind of took over the whole thing. And then I ended up breaking my legs. So I had to kind of leave there. So Greece was a bit of a bit of, Sweet time for me. I had a great time, dude. There's some awesome people there. Um, for such a tiny drop zone, they got some ridiculous flyers out there like, real, real good flyers. For like, literally, there's probably 20 skydivers or, or so that there when I was there, and half of them were like decent free flyers and, and stuff like that. But, but yes, it Greece was Greece was awesome. I can't believe how busy they were. They had a great attitude. We have Benjo over there. Oh, that's right. I, f- I had a feeling yeah. that you had a friend there. I couldn't place yeah. who it was. But so that, yeah, that's uh, right. Benjo was out Are there. Are these the dogs, Rob? They're the ones, yeah. Norrin and Rad. So I rescued these two. Uh, we found these two English setters one day that we, when we were, we were sitting having beers afterwards and they were all bones and, and kind of halfway to death. And I got talked into looking after them for 24 hours. And it uh it it took out any anybody who knows me knows that I'm a big animal person. I'm a massive, massive dog fan. And uh they took over my whole kind of time there. Norin had some puppies and all this sort of stuff. But anyway, I left Greece and I it, it worked out that I I did a crowd fund me, I helped some because I wasn't earning at this point and I'd actually spent every euro that I'd earned in Greece trying to save these dogs, trying to rescue them, medicate them and get all their shit together and and stuff that when I left, I paid for uh, 
like a woman to at a like a rescue center to look after them until I was strong enough or, or back up on my feet to be able to. But it never it never happened that way. And and uh, but they got readopted. I got in, in contact with the charity and the charity helped me locate them. She got located uh, to the UK and he got lo- located to the States. And I kind of got I I got um, emails and stuff from the people who had adopted them, and I kind of sent them an email and said, "Hey, like I was their original rescuer and blah blah blah." But then I found myself every other day, like, "Hey, how they doing? How they doing? Blah blah blah." And that's not my job now, you know. Like that's it's kind of unfair actually because now this dog is there part of their family and stuff like that and I shouldn't be in the background and as much as I'd want to keep them and so I kind of it was really hard but I kind of deleted these people's emails and was just like you know maybe it wasn't my destiny to have these dogs but maybe it was my destiny to rescue them so Greece became actually a big part of of that that it consumed my whole time whilst I was there and maybe because of that I was had my mind elsewhere and and whatnot but that was that was basically but it was such a beautiful drop zone. Loved the, loved the Greek lifestyle. The food was amazing. I felt great. I guess I don't know all that much about Greek food other than thinking about Euro. what a euro looks like. Yeah, <laughs> That's a, I'm there. That's all you need, boys. All you need. <laughs> Euro. Oh, wait a minute. And also, uh, what's that not rice thing called? Not couscous either. Mm, dang it. Uh, mm, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> dang it, Bobby. Damn it, had some badass pastries in Greece. Yeah. These spinach pastry things that they had for breakfast. And oh, all the, the bread was... There was like this little bakery just down, the, down from the staff, staff apartment. And every morning I'd go there to buy a little fresh baked loaf and some eggs from the farm. And, oh, it was killer. So... I guess I'm curious. Uh, you traveled a lot. You worked a lot of different places yeah. all over the world. Uh, what what made you pick Spaceland? What made you come this way? Uh, to come to I'd the States? Always, I'd always wanted to come and live in the States. I've got a lot of friends in San Diego, so I want to give those guys a, a shout-out if any of those are listening. Um, Kevin Purdy, who used to work here at this location, who now runs the Atlanta location... We'd been friends for a few years on Skype and Facebook. We'd never actually met because he used to work out in New Zealand at the same drop zone. And he was kind of like, I'd always like message him about how it would be to get employment there and get employment in the States. Because that's, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to do anything. You know, like a, a lot of people travel and, and travel illegally, work illegally, whatever. I... I don't want to do that because I travel soft. You know, the thought of meeting you all you guys then not being able to come back because I'd broken immigration laws would kill me. You know, like if I couldn't go see my friends in San Diego for 10 years because I did something stupid as that would kill me. So <coughs> I always wanted to do things legally above board and that's why I kind of got, got in contact with Kevin. Once I got here, have you been to Spaceland, dude? It's, <laughs> it's the shit, you know. I mean, the, the I like I like safety, dude. I like to I like to know that that plane that I'm in is not gonna fucking the wings are not gonna fall off whilst I'm taking off. 
I like to know that the tandem gear that I'm jumping is well maintained and, and looked after. I like to know that the people around me have had or are, are being educated in a way that, I mean, you know, because these are all the same th fears that, that you have. You, you yourself, have, you have a high level of safety and, you know. Paranoia, uh, I think. Paranoia, yeah. <laughs> but as, you know, paranoid, being paranoid keeps you alive. So, and I mean, that coupled with, you know, Spaceland spoiled, you get all the best planes, we're always running. You know, the, the flyers here is, I'd never seen skydiving that I'd seen <coughs> until I got here. I was like, woo! Man, it's, uh, first of all, flying that you've never seen, go to our Vimeo channel and check out the Film ah. Festival, pro Festival promo. Nick, you put that together, and that was all exclusively Spaceland flying. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that was definitely all here. There were, there were two shots in that video that weren't mine, but yeah, the rest yeah. of it's... Super sick footage. flying. Now, I, I want to make sure I say this right, because you asked what brought him here. I'm going to ask what kept him here. What brought you here is the idea and the fascination of working in America. Mm -hmm. And is, this, is, is it safe to say that this is your second long-term stay in America? You've 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 come and gone once or twice quickly, but you you've yeah. been here. In the first visit, you really visited more as a visiting jumper. You you, you yeah. did some occasional uh, voluntary work. You yeah. so you occasionally work without pay because you mm -hmm. just couldn't work. Yeah. So you'd help us out in a pinch, like oh I, I can cover you guys, but I can't work. <coughs> yeah, that's right. And the uh, the mentor program helped with that um, with you guys. Um, you know. Yeah. Me me being part of the you know helping out with some mentor jumps that kept me in the air that kept me going. <coughs> that again is voluntary work because yeah. you're not you're not paid as an in, as a coach yeah. or instructor. But one of the things, things that, I, like that help. One of the things I found interesting is when you left, you actually left with homework. You left with a goal of like I figured out what I need to be in America. I researched it. I saw what's going on here, and yes, I want to be part of the scene. I want to be part of the vibe. Mm. So you left here with an ultimate plan of how to come back and actually work here and go through the work process, the visa, the green card, the whatever. Yeah. But when you left, you left knowing you wanted to come back. Yeah. But right before you left, something else came up that made you want to come back even more. This one over there? This one over here. Yeah, so uh, <coughs> the first trip, I was here for three months, and I left three months, went to Sweden, and then I come back. So when I came back the next time, I got a message from Fudala. Sent me, sent me a picture of this little rainbow-haired girl, and they're like, so it's like this girl knows you and she's putting some stupid face like, I don't know this girl anyway the next morning this crazy little redhead and I knew exactly who she was or I remembered her as Felicia Lalleman because I had taken this girl for a tandem in New Zealand like exactly funny enough it works out exactly a year 365 days before that day so I remember, I remember this, oh, right? Oh, stalker. it's magic. Right? Oh, so, stalker, uh, <laughs> I guess that's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the backstory was that, that my, one of my very good friends, Dowie, was the head, uh, head of the office of Manifest in Taupo. And she walked in. Now, I never got to take hot chick. A lot of the boys now are probably going to be piping up and, oh, it's fucking cunt, yeah. But I never did. <laughs> and Brad Rock always used to get them, who was our manager. So, you know, some can say that there was foul play, some some not, who not. But uh, good on you, Brad. But anyway, this time, it, that motherfucker wasn't going to beat me because it was just me and Brad there. 
So I went to Dowie and I said to him, if you put me with that guy, I'll get you a coffee or something from the... From the, from the a flat white. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you a flat white. Ooh, love Ooh. a flat white, brother. So I'll go up to the terminal and get you a flat... So anyway, I, I stole Felicia from Brad. <laughs> and the rest of the world. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I took her for a tandem. Um, my buddy Liam come out, filmed as well. My, my friend Linda was doing video and said... Yo, know, said our goodbyes, didn't think anything of it, saved saved our name in in my phone so I could, you know, Facebook book the stalk the shit out of her later. But um I was just like I was like I kind of like had a He was you know, a I gentleman when he found that. out I was married. Yeah, you know, she was married, she was living in but it was like kind of like a felt connection. Like, I gotta remember this name. You know, I'm gonna something just told me that I had to and I still have it saved in the notes of my phone. So <clears throat> literally but we'd never see each other again. You know, like never, we, yeah. we never did. We never kept contact. We never met up again. It was just that one thing. And then the next year I turn up and she's sitting at Scudder Space Land in Houston. And uh, was no longer married, no longer living in Japan and was now over here and learning to skydive. So you moved to New Zealand for four days. Yeah, got stuck there for seven years. It changed your life because skydiving has defined who you are today as a human being and is really your future. Yes. And the future and the rest of your life, or at least as long as Felicia will put up with you. Yeah. It it, it all started there in Taupo. Yes. Man, what a fucking unique story. Yeah. Yeah, I owe a lot to that place. Actually, it's... uh It's not 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 in a morbid way, but but when I go and I have my ash dive, I want it to be in Taupo. Uh, like my my parents know that if ever anything ever happens to me anything like that, because that was where I felt like I was born again. Because my life now is very different to how my life was before skydiving. It's definitely <coughs> a, a life changing experience for me. And you bring up to me a unique the conversation is I I recently just oh I had my mother in law pass and mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful lady and and for our family we're very much at peace. She was struggling in health, so it's mm-hmm. a good place for her to be. But Valerie and I, of course, talk about our mortality mortality during this point. And she knows what I want to do when I die. Yeah. Nick, have you ever thought about when you pass away, is there anything you want the skydiving community to do or know? Uh, there's a place I actually did my dad's ash dive. He wasn't a skydiver, but uh, I, I always wanted to take him on a jump, and he could just never find the strength to do it. So when I took his ashes on a jump, <laughs> it's a little bit morbid, I guess. But I, uh, I, I remember... Kind of having a conversation with his ashes, and saying that I wish that, uh, or I, I hope that his uh, that that is that, that, uh, that <laughs> this sounds really fucking terrible, but that uh, between his his skull and his teeth, that I still get to blow his mind and make him smile. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> so fucking super weird and morbid thought, but I remember having like kind of making that joke with his ashes on the on the way to altitude. But it's over uh, Pine View Reservoir. In uh, in northern Utah, it's about a twenty minute drive from the uh, from the drop zone there, and it's still one of the most beautiful places I've ever jumped. Uh, Pine View Reservoir at sunset. If anyone was to take my ashes there, I wouldn't be the least bit upset. Mr. Grubbs, did you ever have you ever put any thought into that? Well, for me, I guess it's a little bit different. I've jumped a, a couple different places, and mm-hmm. and this is home for me. So yeah, for me, I don't have a geographical place. <laughs> Spread my ashes where I am at home the most at that moment. And right now, Skydive Spaceland Houston is it. 
if I'm at different drop zones, but I recently came from Houston, I'll probably ask to go back to Houston. But wherever I really, truly call home at that moment. But the last load of the day, I want it to be about a 20-way. I want it to be highly organized because I want it to be successful. I don't want people to remember my last you jump as a shit show. You don't, no. want, you don't want to go out on a shit show? I want my friends to go out <laughs> with this memory. And, 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 and you've seen you don't want to ash funnel? <laughs> I, 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 I organized a 10-way ash dive for a buddy, and a lot, a lot of people were a little bit like, hey, a 10-way. And then our buddy, uh, uh, what's his name, Billy, uh, goddamn McDonald's, Billy Ronald McDonald. Billy Whitaker. Oh, Billy Whitaker. Billy Whitaker, Whitaker yeah. thank you. Um, no, not even Billy Whitaker. Uh, God dang, I don't know why I went to Billy's name. Uh, short NASA guy, Randy Morgan. Randy, yeah. Randy's not sister passed away. No, not even fucking close, dude. They were on a team <laughs> together. That's, that's my problem. They were on a team together. So uh, he took his sister on like a... 40-way or 20-way. It's a pretty decent size. But I want to be on a 20-way, the last load, sunset load, uh-huh. the the skydivers who A, can make it happen, B, my super, super tight homies, and that entire load is on me because I want one last jump with my friends and I want to pay for it. Fuck yeah. And, uh, oh, if I ever die, sell all my gear at fair market value. <laughs> at fair market value. And take every single dime of it and put it in a fund for scholarships for new jumpers to get free coaching. Ooh. I don't care about the fair market value. I care it maximizes the dollar for those new jumpers. Yeah, I, I stole this from Jerry Scrimpture. I don't know if that's how Jerry Scrimpture, and, and this is no longer a thing in the sport, <coughs> but past the Skyward and, and Skyfest, there was a big thing, and Jerry Scrimpture, they had a, a scholarship in his name to get new jumpers skydiving, mm-hmm. and they paid for coach jumps. Um, so I, I steal the idea from the Scripture family. Jay Scripture uh, has worked for several manufacturers. Jerry, his father, super, super, super awesome family. Um, so my idea is not original, but my gear sell it at fair market value. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's gonna it's gonna get a fair share. It's, I don't want you to sell it cheap. I want you to sell it a deal, only because all the proceeds go to new jumpers learning to get better. Mm-hmm. So. Um, um, by the way, uh, Jared Shell's watching. He says, I love that I'm watching as you bring up your ash dive, Rob. Huge thanks to all of you gentlemen for your help with dads. Oh, oh. my God. Jared, uh, man. Uh, Jared, his father is, is a guy named Randy Shell, and Randy yeah. had, had passed away in a skydiving accident. And Jared grew up watching his dad skydive and grew up watching the community. And I've known quite a few guys like Jared, who, whose father passed away in the sport, and they finally said, I got to do what my dad loved. Yeah. And one of the coolest things that got to happen is he got his <coughs> license, and immediately, and Nick, I think you were maybe on this I think jump. it was like his graduation yeah. jump. His 25th yeah. jump. Yeah. 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 He busted his ass to get his license. Yeah, he did so, yeah. so hard. Well, I mean, that, that's the only contact that I really had with him through his, through his course was that I saw him, and he was like... <sighs> You know, busted out. I was the same way, and I didn't even want to like bother him. No, but it's awesome to see you doing this, but I don't (laughs) even want to talk to you right now because I know you're just got so much shit. And he looked so beat, and I had like a couple of slices of pizza in my box that I wasn't going to eat, and I was just like, "Hey, dude, you you look like you need to eat, man. Like, have some pizza." And he was like, "No, yeah, actually, I could really do with that pizza." It's funny you said that because earlier he commented and said, thanks for the pizza, Rob. Oh, he did? Yeah. yeah. So that was like the, the only kind of like contact that I... But I was... Uh, same with you, Justin, like watching that guy from afar just being in awe. Like, man, you, you're busting ass. Yeah, that, that jump, that his jump where we did the ashes, man, it was, it was one of the more... <laughs> it's funny to use the word magical, but man, it was an amazing, it was an amazing yeah. jump. That was epic. He, it was epic. <laughs> so I don't know if you know what happened, but uh, Jack Burke, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they were teammates on on Deguayo, I guess, for a, for a while. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, Colin Rhodes. Colin Rhodes was was there, but Jack, uh, he's a big guy, yes, and sir. he couldn't hang with the fall rate, and he was sinking out, and so Colin does this fucking, fucking beast mode, superhero oh move, goes flies down to Jack. And I guess it, they had a compressed accordion <laughs> yeah. and floated him back up. He started out with a side body like, that's not doing, I'm going to a compressed. Yeah, yeah and so I'm I'm watching, like, as this is happening, I, I'm I'm filming... Uh, Hank uh, and Jared. Hank and Jared first because it's Jared's 25th jump. <clears throat> and then I realized, well, Jack's got the ashes. It's like, this is an ash dive. What do I do right now? <laughs> because this is his 25th jump. This is his dad. The ashes are over here. He's sinking out. This is this person's 25th jump. Is this going to happen? And so Colin flies down, floats him back up. Everything gets on level. And the, the plan was it was a really, it's a four-way. It's a really simple jump. Nothing crazy was supposed to happen. That they were just going to fly this round down into 7,000 feet, do the ashes. And uh, and then Hank was going to dump out Jared. And then that was going to be it. But the timing still worked out. Like the ashes still came out on time. Every like the the meaningful part of the jump worked out beautifully, and the ashes come out in a real nice shot. Yeah, it's the, a it's a yeah. it's it's a great shot. Yeah, yeah. definitely a great video. And, of ashes. Uh, but just the, <laughs> I, I landed right next to Colin, and just like the, this moment of like this unspeakable holy shit that just happened. <laughs> I'm like not in a like. I think anyone who's got ever long enough has had a close call or a scary thing where you have that holy shit that just happened moment. But it was like a. Almost like, did that really just happen that way? Yeah, like that, that is awesome. so mind blowingly amazing yeah. that oh my god that worked. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it was uh, definitely a special job. Yeah. Oh, Colin, man, that's I, I've, I've heard brief moments of that story. I've never got that full puzzle put together, and that's mm-hmm. super amazing. Uh, we really here very shortly turn into pumpkins. We're, we're getting old. We have to actually get re- decent relaxed time. I've got to get my wife tucked into bed and start our vacation right. You know what I'm saying? Hey-o. Ooh, how's that going, Mike? Hey, hey, hey. Ooh, Ooh. DJ. Ooh. Oh, man. I had, to sit there. I had to sit there last night and watch Fifty Shades of Fucking Grey with Felicia and Liz dripping like fucked fridges sitting next to me. <laughs> Just fucking, I don't think I've ever heard uh, that analogy. Just fucking, oh, oh, they did this. Like, oh, God, <laughs> dripping like a fucked like a fridge. Fucked fridge. Now, here's the one question. <laughs> Through all that torture, did it pay off? Nah. No. It's Lady Week. It's Lady Week. Oh, oh damn. When the river runs red, take the dirt track instead. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you couldn't top fucked fridges, but <laughs> lo and behold, that was when the river go do that again. When the river runs red, take the dirt track and say, I shouldn't be saying this. It's probably chicks. Your mom is listening. <laughs> I, I started this trying to be so like respectful of my mom listening. I think you By did the pretty good. Day, I'm all like, no, I think you were like 95 percent. Pretty pretty yeah. clean and presentable. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Man, we're going to kind of wrap this up here in a second. Before we go too much further, I want to tell you guys what's coming in the next couple weeks. Uh, next week, we do have off. My lovely wife and I are celebrating our 10-year ten, ten wedding anniversary, so we're going to do something a little special. Uh, living together for almost 15, married for 10. So absolutely. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you, man. Congratulations. Uh, we come back on... 
February 13th, January 2018. That's my thing now. <laughs> <laughs> Aborted DeLorean February, with a well-tuned flux capacitor. <laughs> February 13th is actually going to be what we call our anniversary show. Right. Uh, April, or excuse me, February 9th, 2017, Nick and myself sat in this room with a cell phone camera shooting our very first episode of what turned into Gravity Lab Radio. We didn't actually launch the podcast live or the downloadable version that most people seek today until I think April, and I'll find those exact dates for for that show. So April or so February 9th, I'm out of town. So February 13th, you're going to see actually myself and Nick right here with Mr. Ben Nelson sitting on the other end of the couch and Justin Grubb. So it's just going to be the Gravity Lab crew. It's going to be the Gravity Lab team. And we're going to talk about some of our funnest stories, what we've done through this time together. And of course, as you guys know, we're just going to talk a lot of shit. The week after that, we're going to have a really cool dude, a guy that you actually know and you probably appreciate a lot tonight. Tonight's episode was also brought you to you by Jeff Witt's Truck. <laughs> Jeff Witt's Truck is what brought you here, but Jeff Witt owns a company called Skunk Ape Base. Mm-hmm. And he's a small base manufacturer. He's a, he's an instructor. He's done a lot of training of other people in basin and skydiving And a good cunt. And a GC4 <laughs> shizzy my nizzy. Yeah. He's going to join us, and we're going to kind of focus on a little bit of that manufacturing world, what it's like for him to, to own a small base manufacturing nice. company and what it's like to be involved in the base world. And we've had base friends on. <laughs> I think it's going to be a super, super unique perspective. So that's what we have coming up. After that, or, or until we get to those weeks, Rob, mm-hmm. anything else you want to share with the world before we sign out of this, Sheen? No, I think, think we're pretty good. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been nice to come and see where all the, the magic's at. I've, I listened to every episode, so... Thank you. Obviously, I've been a been a fan from day one. We spoke about that, but uh, yeah, it's nice to, nice to come along and hang out with you guys, even though I saw you today. Dude, thank Never you Never get so enough much. of you. <laughs> thank you so much for being yeah, here. Yeah, no, thanks for having us. Mr. P, you look mighty fine in that red jersey right Thank there. You. And a shout out to Option Studios. Dude, I got, I got my Option Studios shirt on, you, man. Adam's a shit. You need some uh, like velocity pants now, velocity yoga you pants. You mean Option pants Studio that say velocity pants. or Wait a pants minute. that make me go real fast? Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Did you say he needs some velocity or maybe Option Studio yoga, yoga pants? pants? Yeah. Do those exist? No, but they should. God. Especially with your yes. ass. Not yet. <laughs> I have pictures on my phone. Of, I can't say option studio yoga pants. Oh, <laughs> but you just said that, so I'm excited. <laughs> no, um, option studios is not currently bringing any tights to the market, but I will tell you, Adam Buckner with Option Studios is looking at some tights, but he's not looking at your typical tights. Number one, get a little fashion design print to him. Mm-hmm. Number two, he's working with kinesthesiologists and looking at K tape designer key key uh, uh, kinesthesiologist. I can't say tape, Mm K-tape. And he's looking at where those reinforcements are and how you can actually implement K-tape style reinforcement in clothing to give that extra reinforcement. So he's actually looking at bringing tights to the market that have custom graphic design and has K-tape style reinforcement built into it. And it's going to make my dick look good. Right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I will wear those stretchy pants on the real, dude. Mr. P, anything else you want to no, share besides it. your I, dick looking no, good? No, that's that's Mr. Uh, Grubbs. Not true. When that's all it. good, man. Thank you again for joining the team. If you want to hit that fancy button, guys, this has been Gravity Lab Radio. Thank you so much for everything each and every one of you do. Till then, blue skies. We're out of here.